And we're ready to start a whole new week of talking about the South. I'm John Rawl. Wonderful to have you back here. We wrapped up Mother's Day on Sunday. Hope if you're a mama, you were treated like the queen that you are. And all your your, your young'uns were, were darn good to you. We sure hope that was the case. And we love our mamas here in the South. In fact, we should have done a, a survey. And I'll go ahead and open up the lines. And if you want to text us, who is the quintessential Southern mama? I want to know who that is. If you... If you have your recommendation, let's hear it. 803-816-1170. Who is that mama of the South? We would love to call them out here on today's Y'all Show. Well, I am John Rawl, the general of all things Southern. John Rawl, CSA, Certified Southern American. And we're here to kind of set the stage for everything Southern on today's Y'all Show. And it's always a pleasure to have you join us here on y'all looking at what's going on today on the show we've got headlines from across the south that we'll get to in a second and how about the kentucky derby racehorse that that's a a real dilemma going on for bob baffert the trainer and more what that's going to be part of our sports coverage here later today but yes a an ugly scene there from what we thought was a race that was a a, a stunning upset now we might know why it was a stunning upset when we get to that point of our sports report here later this hour. Hey, if you've been to the gas pump, you probably have noticed the gas price might be going up a little bit. That's because of a cyber attack right here on our portion of the of the country. And we'll tell you about that momentarily, what's happening to cause the gas, the cyber attack to happen there. Four dead, one hurt after a shooting and fire in the state of Maryland. We'll have information on that. A longtime televangelist, Ernest Angley, has died information coming your way on that and louisiana is considering changing their state motto and song and i don't even know why i mean do you realize what louisiana state song is it's it's a classic you are my sunshine written by the former governor of that state the man that lived to be about 100 years old jimmy davis Uh, we'll tell you what's going on in the pelican state are they running out of things to discuss there in baton rouge evidently so washington and lee university in lexington virginia is going to make a decision in June whether they're going to drop the name Lee from the school's name. The man that's buried right there on campus, Robert E. Lee, and they're thinking about changing the name of the school. By the way, it's a holiday in the great state of South Carolina today. For all you Palmetto State listeners, you sandlappers, you, happy Confederate Memorial Day. It is a state holiday. We'll tell you a little bit more about that here. And then some bizarre news that we'll get to in this first hour, if we're able to. If not, we'll have to push it back into the second hour. Putnam County, Tennessee, a zebra on the loose. We'll tell you what happened there. And a college in the Gulf Coast region of the state of Mississippi says it broke the largest jambalaya ever cooked on record. Record. So we'll have some fun with that here on today's Y'all Show with our look around the southeast Also, we have here in this first hour a look at Southern history. We do this at least once a week, and I'm going to throw out a name to you that you might not be that familiar with, but I think she had a big reason why we all got together on Sunday and celebrated Mama. Her name, Ellen Wilson, and she was the wife of Woodrow Wilson, his first wife, and I think she was a big part of why Mother's Day was created back in the early part of the 20th century as a holiday, and we'll talk about that, and also... She died the same year that Mother's Day was created, 1914, I think it was. 
She died from Bright's disease. I'm going to tell you about that. So we'll get a little medical here on today's Y'all Show, if you if you don't mind. And we have our second hour today. Jerry Short, our Takapola storyteller, will be dropping by. And have you tried to build a house lately? Have you tried to buy a house lately? If you have, you know what I'm talking about. It is ridiculous how much prices have gone up lately. And we'll have the justification for that reason. Jerry Short, a longtime employee of the timber industry, he worked in the woods and surveyed timber and just knows so much more about trees. It's ridiculous. Well, Jerry's going to come on, our Takapola storyteller, and tell us the reason why lumber prices are up and there's a shortage of new homes and homes on the market and the trickle-down effect of all this. All that is part of our Takapola Storyteller time coming up in hour number two today. No closing argument from Art Cruz today. Yours truly will be in the third hour, so hang on for all kinds of goodness, including I'm going to have my closing argument in the third hour on preachers. Get this one now. On preachers and blue jeans. I saw something on Sunday that just really set me off. And I maybe I'm just a fuddy-duddy, and I just need to catch up with the times. And by the way, I'm wearing blue jeans today myself. But I'm not a preacher, and I'm not up there in the pulpit. And I'm going to go off on preachers and blue jeans. So hang on. If you've, if you've been wondering when some talk show is going to talk about that subject, well, in the third hour today, it's all on because I saw something that just set me off and I'm going to, I'm just going to have the, since Art's not here to kind of get us back on track, I'm going to go off the rails in the third hour of today's y'all show. Our website is y'all.com. It is the homepage of the South. And just this weekend, we put up some amazing content at the homepage of the South. We put up our interview from Friday. You might remember on Friday's Y'all Show, the great Jimmy Melton was on here. Jimmy is a talented Henderson, Tennessee native who has a long career as a backup musician. He's in Jamie Johnson's band, but he just released his first solo artist act or, or performance, if you will. And it's called, it's just a fantastic bluegrass song that I heard on country radio. And it is, it's just fantastic. It's called Deal With This. And it's about the coronavirus and bluegrass. And if you haven't had a chance to hear that song, go back to y'all.com. We've got the interview posted right there at the homepage. And you'll not only get to hear the interview we did with Jimmy Melton, but you'll get to hear Deal With This during the interview that we had from Friday. And I've got that right there at y'all.com for you to listen and go back and hear Jimmy Melton and this fun song, upbeat i mean if you're having the monday blues go listen to deal with this and you won't have the blues anymore you'll get the blues grass thanks to jimmy melton we also have up there our conversation is going to be posted with jerry short our takapola storyteller that will be up at y'all.com also so you can watch the interview with the takapola storyteller all at the homepage of the south y'all.com now that's what we call in the biz good customer service and here at this show it is our privilege and our pleasure to serve you the denizens of dixie with fun informative and just downright good stuff for your listening pleasure and viewing pleasure if that is the 
option that you're choosing here at y'all. All right, let's get into what's going on across the southeast here on this Monday. As I mentioned, have you heard about this pipeline undergoing a cyber attack? And as a result of that, it's going to affect prices. There's a pipeline that stretches from Texas all the way up almost to New York State. And now it looks like this pipe down, this pipeline was shut down because of a criminal gang known as Darkside that cultivates a Robin Hood image of stealing from corporations and giving a cut to charity. That, according to two people close to this investigation, but Colonial Pipeline, which is based in Georgia, carries gasoline and other fuel from the Lone Star State to the Northeast, and it delivers roughly 45% of fuel consumed on the entire East Coast. And it was hit in what Colonial called a ransomware attack in which hackers typically lock up computer systems by encrypting data, paralyzing networks, and then demand a large ransom to unscramble it. Now, on Sunday, Colonial Pipeline said it was actively in the process of restoring some of its IT systems. It says it remains in contact with law enforcement and other federal agencies, including the Department of Energy, which is leading the federal government response. And Colonial said that it was demanded the company had not said what was demanded or who made the demand. This is another example of companies being essentially blackmailed, and that's what happened here. I know a, a few years ago a a friend of the friend of the family that's a friend of the family got a similar deal to their company. They had a small kind of uh, waste management company, and one day they go into the office and none of their computers are work, and I think a message came across essentially telling them, if you want your stuff to work, here's what you got to do. And what was so weird was this company was about an hour away, hour and a half away from the city of Charlotte, North Carolina. And they were told to go to a certain ATM in Charlotte, just just one ATM they had to go to. And if they went to that and deposited money in that one ATM, their stuff would work. And so instead of wasting time and going through the feds or any of the other law enforcement agencies, the amount they wanted was not overly pricey. I think it was maybe $2,000 or something like that. It was, But they, they went to this ATM in, in, in the city of Charlotte. Might have been on a rough side of town. I have no idea. And they put the money in, and you know what? It worked they released their computers and end of the story. But I'm sure this kind of stuff happens all the time. And maybe you've been the victim of a ransomware attack. And here, this particular company, Colonial Pipeline out of Georgia, geez, when you affect them, it affects the whole country. And I could notice, I noticed when I went to fill up Sunday, I had seen the price of gas go up 10 cents. Now, that might be because of something else going on in the world, but Chances are, if you're east of the Mississippi River, your price is definitely going to go up. And it's probably going to go up even if you're from the west side of the mighty Mississippi, just because it seems to me the gas companies are always looking for a way to, to get that meter going up the higher direction, where we, the consumer, wants, we want it to go the other way. But yes, that's an unfortunate situation, but hopefully Colonial Pipeline is going to get their act together and get this thing in the rear view and We'll be back up and going with a little bit better structure for ransomware or avoiding ransomware attacks 
in the future. All right, well, this past weekend it was Mother's Day. It was also for a lot of people across the nation graduation day as college graduates for both the class of 2020 and the class of 2021 were finally had they had some semblance of a a traditional college graduation and we know that schools like North Carolina's Queens University that's oddly enough in Charlotte they had their their first graduation in, in a couple of years and a provost and vice president for that college says that they wanted to honor that 2020 just had a heck of a senior year and they wanted to try to acknowledge it in a positive way. So that's just one example, again, of colleges everywhere having a beautiful weekend. I know some colleges had to stretch it out over two weekends where they brought in people from maybe the class of 2020 and some had some in the past 20 couple days, 2021 class. I know at Missouri, the University of Missouri in Columbia, they had multiple ceremonies for its 2020 alumni and under, honored a few hundred at a time in its arena there on the campus in Columbia, Missouri. Texas A&M also brought back grads to its Kyle Field for a celebration. So chances are you have had someone that you know or someone's kids graduate, and here this year we've got a double graduation making up for lost time for those who weren't able to have that traditional college graduation in 2020. Now, most colleges had some kind of virtual graduation, but I'm sorry if I were putting in the time to go through a four-year college and I finally got my degree. I want people to be clapping for me when I go across that stage and maybe even a little hooting and hollering at the same time. But a congratulations to the classes of 2020 and 2021. A job well done, especially in the midst of a pandemic, to, to get that college degree. And then don't forget, we got our high school kiddies about to graduate here in a couple of days if they haven't already. And so we wish them on their next chapter of their lives as they get ready for the future. Now to Woodlawn, Maryland. Four people were killed and at least one injured in a shooting and fire early on Saturday morning. Authorities said it was not immediately clear what led to the violence on a residential street in this suburban Baltimore town. They identified a dead suspect as a 56-year-old man there, but police added that four officers discharged their firearms and all had been placed on routine administrative duty per departmental policy. A police body-worn camera recorded footage of the scene as officers encountered and showed one home was fully engulfed in flames when they arrived. So not just a shooting and not just the fact that you've got an officer involved shooting, but four dead here in the suburb suburb of Baltimore from the weekend. A developing story will try to keep our eye out on this. In New Orleans, police there have made the arrest in the shooting death of one of the city's most popular characters. And this character is a guy who impersonates Elvis. An alleged shooter fled the scene, police said, was later arrested in the Crescent City. But a 28-year-old man was arrested on Saturday, accusing the death of this well-known Elvis impersonator and a, an unfortunate scene there in New Orleans as this this impersonator was was killed. The suspect booked into the Livingston Parish Detention Center on second-degree murder charge. Trace Piggott is the name of the person arrested over the weekend. But uh, Mr. Baglio, Jason Baglio, was the Elvis impersonator, performed under the name Jason Alfano, and he was shot multiple times early Saturday morning in Denham Springs, northwest of New Orleans, 
and now his death, the person accused of him, of his killing 28-year-old there, Trace Pigott, under arrest in the Pelican State. In Georgia, a 11-year-old middle school student is now out, or the story's out about this person, said that they escaped from a school bus because of bullying, and that's why they jumped from the school bus. The student from youth middle school is recovering from a concussion and a broken elbow, but yeah, jumping out of a school bus because of bullying. Now, I rode the school bus as a youngster. Maybe you rode the school bus as a youngster, and I probably did some – I had some abuse weighed upon me, and I bet you – I probably dish some out too if I if I sat here and thought about it. But gosh, to jump out of a school bus because you're being bullied—that's unfortunate. There, a person told the Atlanta TV station Fox Five that a student jumped in his face. He was pushing him against the window when he fell. The other student took his shoe in a desperate attempt to escape, and so this guy jumped. This boy jumped out the window. Authorities said the boy landed on top of a passing pick. He, he landed on top of a passing pickup truck and rolled onto the highway. He suffered only a concussion and a broken elbow in this situation. That's an amazing thing that this young man was able to get away and, and not have more serious injuries there in Walton County, Georgia. But, yes, 11-year-old boy at, from youth middle school jumping from a school bus to escape bullying. Man, I do want to tell you from a personal note, the only so-called fight – where punches were thrown that I've ever had in my life, at least so far, came on the school bus when I was a first grader. And it wasn't my fault. My older brothers forced me to get in a fight almost to prove my manhood as a first grader. That's that's the beauty of siblings, don't you think? Yeah. But, yeah, that uh, those school buses can get out of control. I remember more than once fights breaking out. We had to go to the district office and – Oh, you think you're going to be home on time and you end up being over an hour late home and your parents, this is before cell phones, don't know what's going on and it's all because of kids on the school bus going crazy and getting out of control. I I know you all, if you ever rode the school bus, probably have similar memories. A televangelist has died at the age of 99, Ernest Angley. Maybe you've seen him on television throughout the years. He launched his TV operation in the early 1970s and died at the age of 99. A statement came out from Ernest Angley Ministries saying, Pastor, evangelist, and author Reverend Ernest Angley has gone to heaven to be with his Lord and Master at 99. He touched multitudes of souls worldwide with the pure word of God. He truly pleased God in all things. Check out ernestangley.org for more updates. No cause of death disclosed. Angley was a North Carolina native and ran the Grace Cathedral Church outside of Cleveland, Ohio, for several decades. But through his TV operation, his sermons were seen by audiences throughout the entire country. And I've seen this guy on TV, although I'm not a necessarily viewer of televangelist too much. But, yeah, you could, uh, you probably know who I'm talking about if you see his face. Now, throughout his career, he also, in addition to preaching, has drawn a little controversy throughout the years. Back in 1984, Reverend Angley, charged with fraud and practicing medicine without a license, and was denounced by officials in Guyana in 2006 for allegedly claiming he could cure AIDS. <laughs> that according to USA Today, as it reported at the time. But the late Robin Camille Williams 
routinely spoofed Angley in his southern drawl speaking style as as the character, the Reverend Ernest Angry Robin Williams. I don't think I ever saw that. Uh, but, man, how we miss Robin Williams. But, yes, Reverend Ernest Angley, dead at the age of 99, a, a life well lived for sure. Now, a scary story from Georgia's Lake Lanier to the northeast of downtown Atlanta. Over the weekend, six injured, including two teens, when a boat exploded on this reservoir just to the north of Atlanta. I guess you could call it part in Gwinnett County, partly in Hall County, part in, I guess it would be in Forsyth County. I don't think Fulton County has any any part of it touching Lake Lanier. Six people, again, injured, including these two teens, when this happened on Sunday afternoon. A 16-year-old girl and a 13-year-old boy had to be flown to Grady Memorial Hospital following this, and it happened near Margarita, Margaritaville on Lanier Islands on Sunday afternoon. A 39-year-old woman was taken to Grady by Hall County Fire Services. The explosion happened as the boat was refueling at the gas docks at the Port of Indecision. The boat was fully ablaze when first responders arrived at the scene. Again, I know people sent to the hospital. Luckily, I can't report today of any deaths, but some severe injuries there of people out on Mother's Day having a good time at the lake. And here they end up, several of them, being critically injured, it looks like. The governor of Maryland has pardoned 34 victims of racial lynching in that state. Governor Larry Hogan signed the order at an event honoring Howard Cooper, a 15-year-old who was dragged from a jailhouse and hanged from a tree by a mob of white men in 1885 before his attorneys could file an appeal of a rape conviction that an all-white jury reached within minutes. And then, of course, he's just one of many. The governor Saturday posthumously pardoned these 34 victims of racial lynching in the state dating between the years 1854 and 1933. Governor Hogan saying they were denied legal due process because the allegations they faced. He went on to say, my hope is that the action will be at least in some way it will help to right these horrific wrongs and perhaps bring a measure of peace to the memories of these individuals and to their descendants and their loved ones. And a marker was put up honoring the lynching, or I guess memorializing the lynching of Howard Cooper there in Maryland. But the governor speaking over the weekend, a marker for racial strife and or lynching was also unveiled in the city of Atlanta here this past week. And that's a current trend going up our lynching memorials throughout the southeast. Just about every state now has something up. And there is a big time display of all lynching victims at the Civil Rights Museum, or it might be called the National Lynching Museum. It's in Montgomery, Alabama, and it's only open in the last couple of years. But uh, if you're there, you may want to see that striking display there in the city of Montgomery. A update on weather. Hurricane season is expected to have an above-average activity this year, and we already have one tropical storm forming in the Pacific. Tropical storm Andreas forming right this very second. But yes, it looks like, according to the National Weather Service and the National Hurricane Center, they're predicting this above-average hurricane season that runs from May 15th. So we're not even officially into hurricane season as of today. It's officially starting May 15th, lasting until November 30th. And the Atlantic, I guess that would be the Pacific, the Atlantic's hurricane season actually begins not May 15th, but June 1st. So we still have a couple of weeks until we hit the month of June. 
the Atlantic hurricane season, June 1st to November 30th. But look for increased hurricane likelihood here this year, according to the forecasters, as we we've in some cases escaped. I know the Atlantic definitely has kind of escaped hurricanes for the last two to three seasons. The Gulf of Mexico, though, I know Louisiana around Lake Charles, boy, they've been hit by three hurricanes, I think, in the last 12, 14 months, and they definitely could use a break from bad weather, especially hurricanes going forward. So, But uh, June 1st, go ahead and mark your calendars. Most of all of our hurricanes and the after effects of hurricanes here in this part of the world come from the Atlantic, not the Pacific. But, yeah, already one forming in the state or just off of uh, Baja, California, is where that's taking place right now, and that's, of course, in the country of Mexico. And lastly, as we wrap up our headlines here this first hour, the state of Louisiana might change their state motto and their state song. I don't know why, but the House Judiciary Committee in Baton Rouge passed bills last week to establish a new state motto and a state song. Are you all ready for these? Under the changes, the new state song would be called Southern Nights. I don't know if that's a Glenn Campbell song or not, but yeah, it's a song written by the late New Orleans music legend Alan Toussaint as the fifth state song. So I guess they're adding it. The current state song of Louisiana is You Are My Sunshine by the great Jimmy Davis. And looks like they're going to really, are they really going to have five state songs in Louisiana? Looks like they're heavily considering that. And they're also there in Baton Rouge. I guess they've run out of things to do. They're considering changing the state's motto, which currently is Union, Justice, and Confidence. They're looking to change that to possibly be we live and die for those we love. I don't know why they don't have a Rezelo, Le Bon Batu. I'm not good at French. But, you know, let the good times roll ought to be Louisiana's motto. But this proposal in the state legislature for the committee, it passed by a vote of 10 to 2, with committee members adding that the new state statute would not require any official state flags, buildings, or seals to be corrected. And again, I don't know why they're doing this in the bayous of Louisiana, but they're considering it, and it looks like it could go forward if if it plays out the way it appears to be there in Baton Rouge. Well, we have sports headlines from across the southeast that we're going to get to after this break, so hang on more on this developing story out of Louisville with the Medina racehorse. What's going on there was... Was that horse doping? President Trump sure thinks so. We'll tell you about it and more. A look at some college baseball action from this weekend also. All this on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent.
washed up in Mexico, living on refried dreams. And we're back on y'all. Talk with a southern accent. Our number, 803-816-1170. If you want to reach out and connect to the show that covers everything southern. We do have our sports update coming at you. We'll hold on for a few minutes on that. Let's continue on with some more news headlines from across the southeast. And it looks like Virginia's Washington and Lee University, that is a wonderful college just outside of Lexington or in the city limits of Lexington, Virginia, in the Shenandoah Valley. They have announced they're expecting to reveal whether they're going to change their name next month. And this comes after nearly a year of research by the committee there on the campus in Lexington, a committee formed to evaluate the school's ties to Robert E. Lee, who, of course, after the Civil War, went to what was then Washington College and was, a, I guess, the head of Washington College. And then upon his passing around 1870, the college was renamed Washington and Lee. In fact, General Robert E. Lee and his horse and I think other family members are buried at the Washington Lee campus. It's the maybe most famous part of the campus is the burial of the, the site where Robert E. Lee's buried. And now this college is strongly considering announcing they're going to change the name. The Roanoke Times reports that the Washington Lee Board of Trustees announced this deadline in an email to the campus community last week. The university formed a committee back in July of 2020 to research and make a recommendation on dropping Lee's name from the college. The general was an early president of the school, and as I said, buried there on the campus. I've been to that building once in the, uh, I think, uh, summertime, and then the last time I was there, it had just snowed on the Washington and Lee campus, and it was a beautiful scene there in Lexington, Virginia. But, yes, they are definitely looking to change. A majority of the faculty supported the change in a vote last summer. Gee, I can't believe that college faculty would want to rename something. I just can't believe that that would be the case, even at a college in the South like Washington and Lee. Speaking of Confederate things, if you're a South Carolinian and you're a state employee, there's a darn good chance you're not working today on this Monday because – Monday, May 10th, 2021, is Confederate Memorial Day in the state of South Carolina as state government offices closed and some government offices in local communities in South Carolina also closed in observation of the holiday held every year on May 10th. I didn't realize that this thing rotates, but this year it falls on a Monday, which is a lot of times when holidays fall. South Carolina is among a handful of states in the South with such an official Confederate Memorial Day. State offices in Alabama and Mississippi closed down for their Confederate Memorial Days. Usually the last Monday of April is when Alabama and Mississippi have their Confederate Memorial Days. I think there's also some type of Memorial Day for the Confederacy in the state of Texas. South Carolina chose May 10th because it is the day when Confederate General Thomas Stonewall Jackson died in Chancellorsville, Virginia, in 1863, and that after he was wounded by his own troops and the day that Union soldiers captured fleeing Confederate President Jefferson Davis in Georgia in 1865. He had actually held a cabinet meeting in Abbeville, South Carolina, around that same time period, but Jefferson Davis, caught by the Union soldiers fleeing from Richmond here in this early part of May 1865, and no... For all of you out there thinking about this, Jefferson Davis was not caught wearing a woman's dress. That's always been speculated. But no, Jeff Davis was just, uh, I guess it's 
probably in those days, even though there weren't a lot of pictures being taken, I'm sure he was pretty uh, hard to avoid looking like Jeff Davis, especially when you're having a, a government collapse and your country collapse and you're trying to, to keep from being captured by the Northerners. More news out of the Palmetto State. A plant there has drawn nearly 17,000 complaints for what's called a noxious odor. And this is at a cardboard factory, and now it's in the middle of what we call a stinky situation as environmental regulators order it to lower emissions after receiving 17,000 complaints for this noxious rotten egg-like smell coming from the plant there in South Carolina. And this is in Catawba, South Carolina. So I think this is uh, not all that far from Rock Hill, I think is where you'll find Catawba, South Carolina. The South Carolina Department of Health and Environmental Control, DHEC, ordered the new Indy Container Board factory in Catawba to check its regulations and equipment and decrease emissions of what the agency called, again, a noxious air contaminant. Uh, residents have complained that the smell was wafting through nearby counties and some neighboring areas across the state line in North Carolina, even causing health issues such as nausea and headaches. For some, the factory is located eight miles from the North Carolina state line. The department said it logged approximately 17,000 complaints about this plant, a majority relating to the odor since it started counting in February. That's a lot of complaints, and I don't know if that's one person continuously calling or not. But yes, according to the EPA and its research shows the factory was emitting high levels of smelly hydrogen sulfide and that wastewater storage and a landfill on the grounds could contain other odor-producing sulfurs. So yes, not not a good thing. In fact, this, this is what we said, uh, a cardboard plant there in the Rock Hill area of South Carolina. We're going to talk to Jerry Short here in hour number two about cardboard about trees and more because have you heard about this lumber issue where prices for for wood have gone through the roof and how we might start seeing a shortage of other paper related products here just like we saw in the height of the coronavirus last year jerry's going to be on to talk about that so if you want to have a lumber party not a slumber but a lumber party make sure you stick around in hour two jerry short will be back with us here and he's going to specifically talk about the timber industry. And also he's going to talk about with us today the uh, program the government created some 25 years ago for people to start planting pine trees on their property. The CRP program is what it is. And he's got something to say about that. So you don't want to miss out when Jerry Short is joining us here in hour number two. And lastly here, in a look at news headlines to start our week here on the Y'all Show out of Cookville, Tennessee, have you heard about the zebra that was on the loose there? Yeah, a mad zebra on the run there in Putnam County. And Prescott South Elementary School in Cookville wrote on Facebook that a zebra was on the loose in the Prescott area. It escaped a truck and was tased and, and was mad, according to the school there. That could be a new mascot for, for that school outside of Cookville. And residents were urged not to approach the zebra as law enforcement attempted to capture it. And a teacher at Prescott South Middle School said she thought the Facebook post was a joke, but later saw the zebra right there on Highway 111 headed in the direction of the school. The zebra ended up being captured, thankfully, and I think is perfectly fine. But what an unusual sight, a beautiful sight to see a, a zebra roaming the highway and byways of Middle Tennessee. 
And, you know, if you saw something like that going on the highway, you'd have to sit here and think, is this coffee I'm drinking or something a little bit more strong? Because that is not something we're used to seeing here in Dixie, a zebra running up and down the side of the highway. But good news there out of Cookville, the zebra's fine. And it's a story we can all laugh and live to tell others about one day what happened that day. The zebra, that instead of the day the squirrel went berserk at the first self-righteous church in Pascagoula, in this case, it was the day the, the zebra was on the loose in Cookville, home of, of course, your Golden Eagles of Tennessee Tech, but also the home of a, a crazy zebra out on the lamb. <laughs> well, when we come back on y'all, we're going to continue the fun. We will take a look at some sports headlines, so don't miss that. That is y'all, and it's coming up next. We're back at y'all talk with a southern accent and the Mississippi State Bulldogs with a very successful business trip to Columbia, South Carolina over the weekend. They get the series victory over the Gamecocks in a top 20 college baseball matchup. We'll tell you about the dogs and so much more about college baseball here in just a few minutes. Welcome back. It is time for a little sports talk here on this Monday edition of y'all talk with a southern accent. And we start out today talking a little bit about what happened in the world of sports in terms of the horse racing. Have you heard about the 2021 winner of the Kentucky Derby? This racehorse is actually looking being looked at by the whole world right now as it's coming under scrutiny that it could be doped up. This, this horse from the May 1st race at Kentucky at the Churchill Downs race in Louisville, and people are wondering what in the world could have happened that this racehorse is being now tested positive, and is it going to be disqualified? Trainer Bob Baffert has actually been suspended from Churchill Downs, and it is getting a little bit scary there for the 2021 winner. Is this horse going to end up being thrown out? We saw this, what, the last time in 2019 before the coronavirus, you had – a a major scene there with the winner, the supposed winner of the race, ending up being thrown out, and you had another horse winning the 2019 Derby, and now Madonna Spirit being in the spotlight after a positive drug test. And in a news conference on Sunday, Madonna Spirit, it was announced that Madonna Spirit did end up having a, another positive test. Baffert said he po- tested positive for 21 picograms of betamethasone, which is a Class C drug. The legal limit for the drug in Kentucky is 10 picograms. Baffert added that he does not know why Medina Spirit would have tested positive for the drug, but he says he's going to fight it. 
He says that he got the biggest gut punch in racing for something I didn't do. It's disturbing. It's an injustice for the horse. And Baffert said he will fight in tooth and nail and claim that there's something wrong in racing. Well, right now, something wrong with him is Churchill Downs has responded by immediately suspending Baffert. Their statement read, It is our understanding that Kentucky Derby winner Medina Spirit's post-race blood sample indicated a violation of the Commonwealth of Kentucky's equine medication protocols. The connections of Medina Spirit have the right to request a test of a split sample, and we understand they intend to do so. To be clear, if the findings are upheld, Madonna Spirit's results in the Kentucky Derby will be invalidated, and what is this horse's name? Mandolin, Mandolin will be declared the winner. Failure to comply with the rules and medication protocols jeopardizes the safety of the horses and jockeys, the integrity of our sport, and the reputation of the Kentucky Derby and all who participate. Churchill Downs will not tolerate it. Given the seriousness of the alleged offense, Churchill Downs will immediately suspend Bob Baffert, the trainer of Medina Spirit, from entering any horses at Churchill Downs Racetrack. We will await the conclusion of the Kentucky Horse Racing Commission's investigation before taking further steps. Oh, it's getting good there in the bluegrass of Kentucky. But an unfortunate situation, and I know they're still awaiting more tests, as we just discovered there, but didn't see this one coming, especially more than a week after the race was actually ran there at Churchill Downs. And it just begs the question, why are these horses not tested more thoroughly before the race? I mean, disqualify the horse. I'm sure they do some type of testing. I'm not an expert on horse racing. But, yes, here this second week of May now, we're learning that the Derby winner from more than a week ago could be disqualified, and we may have a different winner if if it turns out to be another positive test. A developing story there from Churchill Downs. We'll keep our eye on it here at the Y'all Show. Now to the world of golf and Rory McIlroy back in the winner's circle as he was in Charlotte. And for the third time, he has won the Wells Fargo Championship there outside of Charlotte. Won it by one stroke. He kind of had a little bit of a meltdown on hole number 18. I think he bogeyed that. He nearly double bogeyed it. But Roy McIlroy... Winning over Answer, the Mexican slash American, as he mostly grew up in Texas, Abraham Answer, but Roy McElroy, the Northern Ireland native, he ends up winning in Charlotte over the weekend, and now that will propel him into the PGA Championship taking place in two weeks, not in North Carolina, but in South Carolina at Kiowa Island. But he yeah, got the one stroke victory. And his first win since 2019, his first win as a father, as his wife and little child there was out there on the course, his daughter, who's only eight months old, Poppy, alongside Roy McElroy's wife, Erica, at Charlotte at Quell Hollow to see the big win for one of the more popular players on the PGA Tour. Now some information coming in on the Tennessee Volunteers. We've been telling you about people transferring to Rocky Top to play for the Coach Heupel and the rest of the volunteer coaching staff. Now you got an outbound vol as Henry Toto is transferring to, not to another team outside of the SEC, but to Tennessee's maybe arch rival in football as this player is now going to be a member of the Alabama Crimson Tide football program. And Toto actually led Tennessee in tackles in 2020 and announced that he's going to be transferring to the Hated Alabama Crimson Tide. 
The addition of Toto goes a long way towards solidifying Alabama's linebacker core after senior Dylan Moses went to the NFL. So Alabama benefiting from this California native's decision to go from the SEC East to the SEC West from one third Saturday in October opponent to the other third Saturday in October opponent. So Alabama getting ready for another run at a national championship. You're defending NCAA champs. Alabama, by the way, set to open the season in Atlanta against the Miami Hurricanes on September 5th, and they'll have this former Tennessee Vol helping them out. We've got a football championship taking place this weekend. If you tune in Sunday, you'll see the FCS National Championship taking place starting at 2 Eastern, 1 Central from Frisco, Texas. It'll be the South Dakota State Jackrabbits and the Sam Houston State Bearcats right there from Frisco. Again, this will be televised on ESPN starting Sunday. It's the FCS Football Championship. Remember, these guys didn't have their season in the fall. It was pushed to the spring. And you're going to get to see a college football national championship here in May between the Jacks and the Cats. That's Cats with a K of Sam Houston State representing Huntsville, Texas. We wish them all the best in that effort. A look back at the weekend in college baseball. The Arkansas Razorbacks were able to win their series against the Georgia Bulldogs, but they did lose one of those games as they ended up winning the rubber game 5-3. Vanderbilt was able to win against the Alabama Crimson Tide. They only were able to play two against the Tide this past weekend. The TCU Horned Frogs hosted Texas, and they lost the series there in Fort Worth to the Horns. Mississippi State, we gave them a shout-out. Chris Lamonis' team went to South Carolina and played one non-conference game against the Citadel in Charleston at Joe Riley Park when they went up to Columbia at Founders Park, and they took two of three against the South Carolina Gamecocks. The last game ended up being, I think, at least 11 innings, and the Mississippi State Bulldogs went down in that one. It could have been a sweep, a perfect four-game trip for Chris Lamonis' ball club, but State ends up winning two of three against a top-20 South Carolina program. Tennessee got the sweep against Missouri, winning 5-4, 11-4, and 10-2. Tennessee continuing to be impressive on the diamond. Texas, as we said, got the win, the series win at TCU. Texas Tech had a game against Oklahoma, but then ended up having a series or games against UIC canceled because of COVID, so the Red Raiders only able to get one game in. The Florida Gators able to get the series win against the Kentucky Wildcats, losing the first game, but roaring back to win the other two games. Mississippi went to College Station, and they lost the series to the Aggies there in College Station. East Carolina was able to get their series win against the Tulane Green Wave. And then Louisiana Tech had to split a game, a pair of games. They didn't get a third game in against FIU. Louisville Cardinals able to get a series win as they were able to knock off Duke over the weekend. And that is a quick look at some of your college baseball teams from around the country as they were playing this past weekend on the college baseball diamond. Well, that will wrap up some sports coverage here for this first hour. When we come back, we're going to have a quick look at some Southern history Do you know who Ellen Wilson is? I'll tell you about this former first lady and her role in Mother's Day. All that is ahead on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. No time has passed. And months has gone 
Back on y'all, wrapping up this first hour of talk with a southern accent, and we love our southern history here on the Y'all Show. And let me tell you a little bit about Ellen Axon Wilson. She celebrated a birthday May fifteenth, eighteen sixty. So this week we will have a birthday honoring her. I guess she would have been only a hundred and what's uh, seventy, hundred seventy years old, something like that. Under sixty, my math may be a little bit off here. Ellen Wilson was the first wife of Woodrow Wilson. So she was first lady of the United States starting in 1913, but she died in 1914. Now, we're saluting her today, the former first lady of the U.S., because I think she had a big part in why Mother's Day was created. As President Woodrow Wilson, a native Southerner, a guy who Virginia claims but also spent part of his childhood I know in South Carolina, maybe in Georgia as well, perhaps even North Carolina, Woodrow Wilson, his family, his father was a minister. And President Woodrow Wilson on May 9th, 1914, actually declared a presidential proclamation establishing the first National Mother's Day to celebrate America's mothers. The idea for a Mother's Day is credited to some by Julia Ward Howe, who helped start the Girl Scouts, by the way. And also, it was suggested a holiday be dedicated as a day of peace. But I'm going to go ahead and give his wife a lot of credit for this because, well, you know, if he's if he's a smart guy, even if he's president of the United States, he'd be listening to what his wife had to say, right? Don't you know that, ladies and gentlemen, too, about the way a good wife is and no indications that they had any problems? She died, as like I said, in his second year in office, Woodrow Wilson's wife there, Ellen Wilson. She actually was born in the South, born in Savannah in 1860, the daughter of a reverend, a Presbyterian minister. She, so they're, both of these, the Wilsons, Woodrow and Ellen, the children of ministers. I guess that just uh, is the, the secret to a long, happy marriage to, to uh, bind those who are the children of clergymen, right? But yes, she d- died in 1914, and she died of something called Bright's disease, and that is a kidney disease. And it sounds like, I'm not a doctor, and I don't play one on TV. It sounds like something that's kind of gone away with time. Uh, it was actually treated at the time with warm baths and bloodletting. How would you like your doctor to tell you today, hey, I need to come let some blood out and give you a warm bath. Uh, Bright's disease was the cause of death for the First Lady in 1914. But, yes, this was also the same week that she was born, born May 15th in Savannah, in the year 1860, Ellen Wilson, the first wife of Woodrow Wilson, who ended up remarrying just after she died. And then Woodrow Wilson himself died in 1924. And a, a, a very interesting character, somebody who uh, around the world was beloved at the end of World War One, as some people really thought that America 
and and rightfully so was the new world leader unfortunately we had to go through another world war to definitely prove the point that america was the superpower of the world but woodrow wilson was right there in that time period of world war one and losing his wife ellen and then he married edith bowling in 1915 but yes this is the week that ellen wilson first wife of president woodrow wilson born in savannah and she had a lot of other things about her. Go look her up sometime. Something to learn about this Southerner who was a first lady of our United States. When we come back in hour two, we'll have Jerry Short, our Takapolo storyteller, on. And he's got stories to tell, maybe even from back around World War One. All that here on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. Good to have you back. We're starting another hour of talking about Dixie here. I'm John Rawl. Good to have you. Hope you have Mother's Day of 2021 was fantastic. And we've got Father's Day. Don't want to leave the fathers out. Got that coming up in a couple of weeks here. Maybe one of these days we'll get a children's day set up. Well, I guess the mothers and fathers of the world would say like, well, I think every day is children's day. Come to think of it, we don't need to give them any special holiday to do it. Yeah, maybe so. Some, some of them. And, uh, I got to tell you, I was with a bunch of youngsters this past weekend celebrating Mother's Day myself, and it's the, I know Tammy Wynette said it once, kids say the darndest things, but yeah, I had a fun experience with one little eight-year-old boy, we were driving down the road, and tell me, I think I read this somewhere, because I wasn't necessarily a customer of this company, Pier One Imports, I think they've kind of gone gone away, but we were driving down the road, and this little eight-year-old boy saw the sign for a Pier 1 Imports, and he looked up and he said, what's Part 1 Imposters? And so, yeah, that, that gave me a little chuckle there. Uh, imports, Imposters, yeah. But I think Pier 1 Imports has gone away, I think. I think I haven't kept up with that. But speaking of furniture, as they offered some furniture for us in the southeast, we're going to have Jerry Short come on in just a few minutes. He is our Takapola storyteller, and he's going to talk about timber and lumber and why prices are so darn high, and maybe the CRP program that the government created back in the 90s is partly responsible for that. And if you got questions about this, hey, 803-816-1170, Jerry Short will be happy to maybe tell you his thoughts on all this. But yes, why are the costs for construction way up? And, and you know, surprisingly, I think you're going to find out, Jerry's going to tell us that it's not because we have a shortage of of trees that's that's not the issue what is the issue well jerry will tell us you just get a stick around for the fun when the takapola storyteller comes up here later in our number two of today's y'all show we also have in this hour kobe bennett stopping by with a southern accent on food can't wait for that well let's get back into the happenings of the southeast and the nation here today as we recap some of the news Going on, a U.S. pipeline based out of the state of Georgia is coming under scrutiny because of a cyber attack there, and that is greatly affecting some of the gas prices that especially people along the eastern seaboard are seeing right now as Colonial Pipeline is announcing that they were hacked. This pipeline is based in Georgia, as we said, it carries gasoline and other fuel from the Lone Star State of Texas all the way toward New York State. 
It delivers roughly 45% of the fuel consumed on the entire East Coast. And now Colonial says they had a ransomware attack where hackers end up locking up computer systems by encrypting data, end up paralyzing networks, and then they come in and want a bunch of money to unscramble it. Now, Sunday, Colonial Pipeline said it was actively in the process of restoring some of its IT systems. It says it remains in contact with law enforcement and other federal agencies, including the Department of Energy, which is leading the federal government response. Colonial Pipeline has not said what it was demanded or who made the demand, but to be proactive when all this started happening the other day, it was Colonial Pipeline, the company itself, that shut down their own computer system, so essentially shutting off the pipeline themselves to avoid further ransomware attacks. This is hopefully going to get remedied, but it's just another example how reliant we are as a nation on computers and how they they just dominate our lives and just the simplest of things and or the most malicious of this world we live in can create something called a ransomware attack. And here we are as a country suffering. You probably have noticed if you've gone by looking at gas prices in the last couple of days, the price has gone up several cents. And more more than likely, it was because of what happened here with Colonial Pipeline and how the trickle-down effect of that could really hurt everybody's pocketbook. So we hope they get that squared away and we can move on and get beyond this scene from the state of Georgia with that attack there. A story coming to us from the state of Georgia. A youngster on a school bus is okay, had a concussion, but he jumped out of a school bus because he was being bullied. This happened at Youth Middle School, Youth Middle School, and that is in Walton County in the state of Georgia. And this youngster ended up jumping out of a window to avoid his classmates on the school bus and ended up landing on top of a passing pickup truck and ended up rolling onto a highway, only suffering a concussion and a broken elbow. Uh, that's what reports are saying about this 11-year-old middle school student from Georgia. What a lucky break there. Just an unfortunate thing that he ended up being bullied and went to such a drastic measure to get away. But yes, an uh, a, a unfortunate scene there. Also out of Georgia on Sunday, a boat exploded while refueling at Lake Lanier, northeast of Atlanta. Six injured, three people ended up going to the hospital. A couple of these are teenagers. A boat exploding on Mother's Day afternoon in Georgia. And thankfully, I can't report today, or don't have the sad duty to report deaths, but some certain injury here. And our thoughts there with those in Georgia at Lake Lanier. But how about a boat and probably in a crowded marina more than likely where this happened and it exploded here over this Mother's Day weekend. Washington and Lee University, Lexington, Virginia, considering changing its name to just be Washington, I guess, as they're thinking about dropping the name Lee from the college. And Lee was a president of Washington College back after the Civil War and is buried there on the Lexington, Virginia campus. And now the faculty there is in support of dropping Lee's name from the college, and uh, it just might happen. Isn't it ridiculous that a college named after somebody and they people went there knowingly being professors that it was named after George Washington and Robert E. Lee, definitely two more famous Southerners, and some would argue two of the most important Southerners and or Americans we've ever had, 
both George Washington and Robert E. Lee, and they had a family connection as Lee was married to Martha Washington's granddaughter or something like that. Uh, I should know. And here in 2021, in this world we live in, they're thinking about dropping the name Washington and Lee. Come on. WNL is one of the most famous Southern colleges out there. Moving on, more headlines across the Southeast. Cookville, Tennessee, a zebra got out of control and was spotted outside of Prescott South Middle School last week. And one teacher said she thought it was a joke when she saw it was on social media that a zebra was running around. But the zebra happened to be captured early one morning last week after being on the loose there. Got out of a truck, evidently, and that's why it was in Cookville, Tennessee, outside of Prescott South Elementary School. But for a brief time, this zebra was on the run there in Middle Tennessee and had to make for some heads being turned for sure after seeing that. More education news, not about zebras running around, but this comes to us from the Mississippi Gulf Coast. As speaking of Confederate stuff, the Jefferson Davis Community College is part of Mississippi Gulf Coast, and it's not the Jeff Davis campus there in Biloxi Gulfport, but actually across the bridge there in Ocean Springs. And there, this community college says it has now broken the Guinness World Record for the largest ever jambalaya as Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College from Ocean Springs worked to make the dish, worked to make the dish as part of a May 1st fundraiser there in Jackson County, Mississippi, for campus food pantries. The coordinator told the local TV station before the event that the college was planning to make around 3,700 pounds of jambalaya. That amount would be enough to beat the current record of 3,300 pounds set by the Jambalaya Festival Association of Gonzales, Louisiana, and that stood for 12 years. But those Mississippians, not to be outdone, at Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College. That's a good education they're getting there, making jambalaya. And they evidently brought in lots of lots of supplies. 900 pounds of sausage, 900 pounds of ham, and more than 620 pounds of rice to make this Gulf Coast of Mississippi jambalaya at the community college there in Ocean Springs, one of the most lovely spots along the Gulf Coast of the southeast now, if you've got an extra $1.7 million to spend, there's a miniature castle awaiting you in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. This fairy tale castle is only 882 square feet, but it's a lovely miniature castle. <laughs> now, who would, first of all, construct such a thing? And then who, in their right mind, would pay $1.75 million, not for a house, but for a miniature castle i think a single wide trailer is probably got more square footage than this and doesn't cost 1.75 million dollars but sure enough outside of fort lauderdale you can get your own fairy tale castle if you will if you if you're looking something for something that you can kind of have your own castle but not spend all day cleaning it yes you can have this fairy tale castle that comes complete with cone spirals coral rock and has a new roof Ooh, that sure helps the price Property property also includes two lots totaling 17,864 square feet there in Fort Lauderdale. It also has a 153 foot of unrestricted ocean access waterfront. Well, that makes it a lot more uh, palatable would be the term. The castle was built between 1924 and 28 and updated later by 
a person there in Florida. The realtor says the house was built in 1970, so they got some discrepancies going on there with this miniature castle. But it's got some oceanfront property there in Fort Lauderdale if you're looking for a castle and a beach and uh, some people to got a good laugh at you, if you will. And that will wrap up a quick look at headlines across the southeast to start this first hour. Hang on, Jerry Short is our Takapola storyteller, and he is up next to talk about lumber and the CRP, CRP program and so much more. Hang on, it's y'all talk with a southern accent. It is y'all talk with a southern accent and great to have everybody back on here. Hope your Mother's Day 2021 was fantastic. John Rawl here as we get a week going of talk about the South and we bring on from Takapola, U.S. of A., Jerry Short. He helps us here kind of connect the dots with everything Southern in his own unique fashion. And it's always fun to have him on. Tell us about the, the yesteryear era as well as what's going on now. And Jerry Short's on with us right now. And y'all, hello, Jerry. Welcome in to a whole new week of Talk with a Southern Accent. We're ready to roll now. Mother's Day today was well for y'all. And uh, everything else going good. Yeah, Mother's Day was fine. I mean, I know that you're here where I am. Your mama no longer with us. My mama is with us, but uh, I didn't see her on Mother's Day. I had to. Do the old telephone call. Right now, too. So I understand that. Yeah, I lost my mother in 69. 1969. Hmm. I know I look like it's probably 18, right? <laughs> 69. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Uh, well, yeah. Jerry, well, what we, you got on your mind? Good. Today? Well, I wanted to tell you, I, I wasn't, I wasn't with my mama over this past weekend, but you know where I, where I was? I made a quick stop through Takapola. I made a quick stop through Takapola, USA, and oh, I can't great. believe it. I think Takapola might be the actual only community in America where, at least right there in the heart of the community, there ain't no Dollar General. What's up with that, Jerry? They put it on the bypass. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess they would call it Randolph now. <laughs> but they put it at the, uh, as we used to call it, Takapola Junction. And uh, so it's out on the bypass from uh, Oxford to Pontotoc. Mm. Dollar we, General, that is. Yeah. We're, we're breaking news. Some people might so, think uh, we've just made up Takapola. You know, they've heard you on here a long time, Jerry, talk about Takapola. And they just assume maybe you just made that made that up. There is no real Takapola. Well, is listen, there really a Takapola? When, when I was a young lad, which that goes back uh, three-fourths of the way, uh, of a hundred, uh, Takapola actually had about uh, 
seven-eight stores, a grist mill, a barbershop, a post office, which it still has, but the post office is now a museum. And it's got a urgent care clinic. And back then, though, it had like two pretty good grocery stores for a town that size. I have to admit it. And uh, so it was a good bit going on. Probably had a population. Uh, I don't want to blow it up. I imagine five or six hundred people. Five or six or five 50s. or six hundred. I, I may have uh, lost in translation there. Probably five or six hundred. Okay. Well, you have to go by the cemetery and take a look, and you can kind of tell by count headstone. And uh, you can tell about what size of town was, I guess. But, uh, yeah, there was such a place. And matter of fact, my great-granddad had a hotel there. And uh, it was called uh, My Last Name Hotel. And then hmm. it wasn't called My Last Name. It was actually My Last Name. And uh, it... Uh, it uh, had a barn, and it stayed full, I understand, most of the time. I've got photos of it. And uh, now that goes back to my great-granddaddy's. And then my granddaddy and my uncle. My uncle got it. So uh, got a little history going there. And, and uh, that was kind of the crossroads of uh, Indian trails, too. You know, the Chickasaws came through there. And and the history, the historical part of Taco Pole, and uh, – I know you probably saw the monument. My mother was instrumental in getting it put up. She was had a garden club. Even had a college once upon a time there. Uh, but uh, that is the first place in maybe the free world of America for sure that a female could own personal property or land. And her name was Betty Allen. And she had married the uh, Indian agent. It was at Taco Pole. This is Chickasaw and land. His, his, it was, that's Chickasaw land. And when his decease, well, he owned this land. At his at his demise, uh, it went before the state state supreme court, and they ruled that it belonged to her, even though she was an Indian female, and her name was Betty Allen. And uh, it's in the archives of the historical books, and. Um, as a matter of fact, I had ladies from Washington, D.C. call me doing a book one time, and I was living a good ways from there, and they wanted to know what the monument said because when they put it up in 5051, my mother was in the garden club and had something to do with uh, putting it up. And so uh, I went over and read it and called them back and gave them the information on what was on it, and it what I just told you about uh, uh uh, her husband was the agent, and at his, at his death, uh, she should have inherited it like most women would have, but they wouldn't give it to her because she was a female in India. So uh, they went to court and and went on to Supreme Court, and by gosh, that's how it got started. So that's a little, little uh, historical note about uh, Dr. Paul. Glad I asked. See, I had, I had no idea about some of that very important history of this community and it's the community that jerry short got going in how about that that's right i lived in a tent after that after <laughs> on my granddaddy's uh plantation oh you lived in a tent were you in the army at that time uh it was an army tent that's about as far as i can stretch it my daddy when he got out of the army uh 
and he came back to the farm, he thought it would be appropriate to put a a large army. It was a large army tent with a wood floor, and uh, sides were about three foot tall, maybe. But he had a bed in it, and probably had a wood burning stove. So my baby pictures are taken in that tent, and you can see uh, where the tent it flaps or flop back, and has the prettiest baby you ever saw laying there on that bed, and uh, in that typical uh, time and place in the early uh, late. 40s and early 50s. It uh, seemed like you wouldn't even have a diaper on the best I recall. If you lay on your stomach. So uh, anyway, that uh, that's uh, the beginning and not the end yet. Uh, Maybe the beginning of the end. You know, it's definitely the beginning of the end. Yeah. <laughs> you know, We're every, talking with our Takapola storyteller here, Jerry Short, and and, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Oh, okay. I'm I don't want to cut know why you off. I just want to know why you were in Taco Polo and, uh, and why you didn't go by and write down or something that everybody know you knew me. I'm sure you would have probably been invited in to eat and no telling well, what. I would have done that, Jerry, but there were just too many buzzards on the highway or what even a highway road, very narrow road at that. And uh, I felt like well, I was not uh, wanted there in Takapola. You want me to give you another little history thing about Takapola? Feel free. That's the floor is yours. Six. Yeah, that's old Highway 6. And uh, I learned to drive on that road. And uh, it only had one lane of concrete. Not two lanes. One lane was gravel. One lane was concrete. And uh, as you went up a hill... You know, I, the lane was on the left side, north side. Obviously, you'd need to get on the uh, right side, so you'd have to drop off half and half in the gravel and half on the concrete. But that was the first concrete uh, highway in North Mississippi. And uh, it was six, Highway 6 from Oxford to, and all of it wasn't like that. It was probably about 20 miles, of it, 15 miles of it from Oxford to Tocopo, maybe a little less. But anyway. That was a, I thought that was a interesting place to learn how to drive, where you had to uh, peep over the dash to see if somebody was coming. If not, you could stay uh, on the concrete in the smooth part. But if not, you had to get over in the gravel and meet them head on, or maybe just a little bit sideswiped. Jerry, do you reckon uh, our president and his agenda for transforming the highways and byways and railways of the country is Takapola going to finally get rid of that half concrete, half gravel plan moving forward? Oh, mercy. You, you, you're bringing up a topic now that I could talk all day, so let's, let's, we better just kind of cut it short. Uh, if it's left up to this administration, we'll be <laughs> lucky to have one lane. We'll be, it'll, be, it'll be another Natchez Trace, which uh, actually doesn't miss, miss Takapola. That far. Mm. So uh, I'm sure we've had some historians that came that way and probably won't have many more in the future. But, uh, well, Jerry, you know, we, can't, uh, we can't talk highways with you, but we do want to talk about you talked about growing up as a youngster in a army tent when you were just a little right. pretty little baby. And I want to know maybe we're all going to have to go back to living in army tents because of the cost of construction and lumber. And if you'll stay with us, Jerry, we're going to take a quick time out and let us gather our thoughts here on the Y'all Show. And when we come back, 
I'm going to try to find out from you, a guy who's worked in the timber industry for decades, what's going on with lumber and what's going on with home building? Why is it so crazy right now? Jerry Short will tell us that reason, and he'll tell us when the Y'all Show returns. Back into Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. Our website is y'all.com, Y-A-L-L.com. It is the homepage of the South, and we put up great interviews from this show up there. We put up our video interviews. In fact, some of you may be watching us right now on the y'all.com website. You can go there and watch our interview that's going on right now with Jerry Short, the Takapola Storyteller. I'm John Rawls. So good to have you back here as we get this week off and going. Some of you might have taken a trip to the hardware store lately and noticed that the timber prices for for plywood and things like that is just through the roof. And I said that intentionally for all of our northern friends. But it's just ridiculous how much these prices are. And then the home building price, if you're looking to build a home, has gone through the roof. And why is it like that? Well, Jerry Short after giving us a history lesson in, on Takapola in the first segment, we're going to have him actually utilize his many, many years of working in the timber industry and find out from him what's going on that timber and lumber prices are so darn high right now. So, Jerry, we're going to put you to work big time. Tell us the reason. What's the Jerry short answer for what's what's the short answer for what's going on? Well, uh, you know, I not very good at short answers, but uh, I'll make it as uh, abbreviated and as, uh, as my opinion will allow me to. Uh, you know, look at this thing that you mentioned while you was, uh, while we were not talking. Um, it's kind of like a perfect storm. You know, I think there was a movie about that, a perfect storm once upon a time. And uh, the timber industry is kind of the same situation. It's kind of a perfect storm. And it didn't start today. It didn't start yesterday. You know, let's say it started, I'd like to think maybe 25 years ago, because when I started to work for uh, one of the world's largest uh, timber and paper companies in the world, um, things seemed like they were rolling along really good. Couldn't see anything in the future that would turn to this. But um, then the environment got involved. The government got uh, involved with everything that they could, especially on the West Coast. And I kind of feel like the first time I noticed it was when a spotted owl, we had a mill, the company I worked for, Coos Bay, Oregon. So, um, you know, and it was right two or three mills and a lot of timber out that way in Oregon and Washington State. Really good timber. Um, you'd have a million dollars worth of timber on an acre, on a 40 acre flock. However, 
they shut most of all that down. We had to close the paper mills down and that stuff. A lot of it moved to the Southeast, but, uh, it was over the spotted owl and that was the, the government and, uh, a lot of these environmentalists because they wanted that to be a, a endangered, uh, protected species. But, uh, that started the movement kind of this way. And as it come this way, you know, you had to buy land, you had to buy inventory for land. You had to build plants, more plants. We had plants here anyway, because uh, the company I worked for at a plant in Natchez was building 46. Happened to be the year I was born. But, uh, you know, uh, they had to build more plants, especially for uh, not just paper. We had mostly paper, but wood product plants started coming in and uh, had to build those. And when they got online, you know, everything seemed like it was going along fine. And then, boom, here, all of a sudden, it blows up again, like it has now. And uh, so, uh, when it blew up before, it, you know, interest got really high, and we quit buying land, and timber got a little bit higher, and things got higher, and we was having a few inflations we've been, we've been through. And um, so, the, the timber industry uh, was rolling along, and the government, again, they step in, and they start paying um Landowners, X amount of money for a program they call a conservative forestry program. And, uh, it was a resources, uh, CRP. And they would pay, uh, they'd pay a farmer and they would use the, uh, excuse that they were putting bad land, uh, that really wasn't good for anything out of production. But I've seen a many a pasture put into pine trees and you got paid a lease. Uh, for 15 years, you'd sign a contract, and it ran anywhere from, oh, I've seen figures from, depending on what part of the country you're in, from $10 to $300 an acre per year for 15 years. You had a contract that you then you had to thin it at 13 to 14 years when I consider that juvenile timber, but it's some wasn't uh, for a lot of those people, for the government people, who probably didn't have any background in forestry or anything associated with that. However, then it got to be so much timber then, you know, and uh, then we lost a lot of contractors. We lost a lot of people that were working in that business. And then the virus comes along. And the virus comes along and it knocks out a lot more. And you can't hardly get any help now. But uh, so lumber goes up because uh, uh, hauling and trucking goes up. And uh, so, you know, everybody that touches and puts their hand on a two-by-four, a two-by-four uh, was uh, probably 5 $6 a uh, year ago less. Now it's 7 8 9 10 depending on where you buy it, for a treated two-by-four. And uh, all that has, has come to pass because we actually, as I said, it's a perfect storm. Everything come together. We don't have enough workers. We got too much timber. The landowner is having to go ahead and abide by that contract if possible. You can get an extension on those contracts, those CRP contracts. But if you, you don't have that extension, he's got to abide by that. He's got to thin it at uh, 13 to 15. Then I think there's another stipulation that you have to cut the chip and saw logs, which is a small log, which is a two before or four or four before or a uh, uh, plank or uh, one before, just small stuff. And that usually comes from the smaller pine. They were probably planted about 700 trees per acre. 
So you can imagine how many trees are out here. It's 700 trees per acre, and this whole countryside is just full of pine trees that the government's been paying people. And, this and kind tell of me, Jerry, why did the government start this CRP program in the 90s? Well, it becomes another environmental thing, I think, because they use the excuse that they were putting non-productive land to use by planting timber on it. And at that time, we, you know, we were wide open with uh, pulp. You know, railroads were running. We shipping, I think we put about 30 cords to a car then, hauling short wood. Then we went to Longwood. We didn't put so many tons on each car, and, and uh, you could ship it. And uh, it was a demand for it. And uh, the demand didn't play out. What played out was people that you had in the industry because, you know, you know things become more, uh, uh, you, you use equipment and, you know, you use skitters where you used to maybe use a mule or you use uh, uh, a shear on a uh, shear machine and cut the trees, timber down, where at one time you had 10 men maybe in there with uh chainsaws, cutting timber down, limiting it up. And, you know, so you got where you could, uh, production-wise, you could produce a lot more, and it took less people. But now uh, we're back in a situation where we need those people. We don't have those people. Trucking is really expensive. Um, I think some of these truck drivers are getting $4 a mile maybe to haul now. Where Why? One What's one of the uh, reasons for that? As a guy who knows a little bit about that industry, that's where I'm going. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I'm you fill good. in the blanks. Go ahead. No, it's no blank. It's just it's just solid. It's uh, our government has taken those workers and their kids. They're staying home, and they don't want to dang work because they're making as much money at home as they would be sitting in a cab of a vehicle hauling. Like where I'm sitting, where I am right now. The closest place to haul pupwood would be uh, Counts, Tennessee, or Wycliffe, Kentucky. So you're looking at 150, 125-mile haul one way. So, you know, that takes up time. Where they used those mills used to be right under our nose, maybe 30 miles or so, and then we ship by rail. But then tariffs catch you on this, anything you ship north. That's one reason. So... Those two mills I just named were north of here. So the company I work for, we had a mill in Vicksburg, which is still there. It's the only one that company has in Mississippi now. And they had one in Natchez. They had one in Moss Point. They had two in Mobile. And uh, they're all tore down and gone. Had two in Bastrop, Louisiana. It's gone. And that was Uh, mainly because of environmentalists were against those mills? It was was mainly because uh, the environmentalists were against uh, it made it so hard to produce stuff and have people working, and you had so many rules and regulations. Not that you didn't need a few of those, but I think we may have overdone killed with some of them. But uh, they had us in a situation where you had to do what they said. They would come around and they would check, and uh, it, they'd fine you. You could draw a heavy fine. I bought timber before where just uh, – a little hydraulic fluid uh, fell on the ground, and I had to hire it and take it to an environmental dump <clears throat> and wrap it up in, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, John, had to wrap it up in um, uh, protective uh, vinyl and uh, things like that. So, you know, the more they got involved, the more costly things got, so the more people got into something else or got out of it. So I think what we're doing now, we're finding ourselves 
in a situation of what I maybe let out with saying we're in the middle of a perfect storm. Because I think all those things are starting to come together where we don't have enough people. we got too many, uh, too much fiber standing. If you've planted 600 and 666 trees per acre, or there's six by seven spacing or whatever. If, if, if that's what you did, um, that's, uh, that's, t- that's put a lot of stuff on in the woods, but you don't have any way to move it. You don't have any way to get it out. And the landowner, you know, you know, supply and demand. And uh, the landowner cannot get the actual value that that timber is worth if he wants to move it. And he's got to move. And so he's moving, and I've seen more timber being moved here lately than I've seen in two or three, four years. But it had been kind of bad. But this, uh, this has come along, and now I've even heard today that uh, they're expecting a shortage of uh, paper products again like we had when the virus first came out. And I also heard today that uh, the average cost, as you mentioned to start with, the cost of a home is up about 36 38%. So if you were going to build a $200,000 house, you look up all of a sudden it becomes a $275,000 house. Well, that can't continue to go on. <clears throat> but, you know, to get this going, you know, I know uh, I know of a couple of companies that are putting in chip and saw mill now to take advantage of the situation because it don't take too long to uh, recoup your money if uh, you got a you got that much uh, 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 in the price increase, and I think you're going to see that. And but it's got to come to an end because it can't uh, it can't continue on like that. So uh, you know that's kind of what I see as I've been in it. Uh, when I started to work, I bought land and timber for that major company. And then I did it for myself also. And um, did it for 20 years for them. And I did it for myself for about that long. And then I decided to do something else because it's like always, the market gets over flooded. But, you know, I, I, I should have touched base a while ago when we were discussing uh, the government and the CRP program of planting those trees. I think one of the main problems we had then, I know I know one incident, and uh, obviously I won't uh, call any names, places, or anything else, you know, protect the innocent. But, uh, oh, come uh, on. Let, it, let them have it. No, I wouldn't do that. But uh, the, uh, I've, I've seen it happen where uh, the government had repossessed, say, 1,000 acres. They repossessed 1,000 acres. And it, this would have been in the early, early 90s. And it ended up nobody bid. I only had one or two bids for around a hundred thousand dollars. I mean, around a hundred, uh, around a thousand dollars an acre. So you know, you're talking a million, but you got to drop ten percent that day of the bid. And I know a guy that bought a thousand acres one time that uh, couldn't cover his ten percent, and they did it on a Friday from the federal government. And uh, I think he started cutting timber on a Saturday morning or Friday night, and had enough to pay that 10% by high grading and uh, took care of it and then got it planted later. Let's say they planted half of it. So they came back and let's say got $50 an acre uh, lease from the government for planting pine trees, loblolly pine trees there. And uh, they put those down, giving $50 an acre. He's got 500 acres. It's a quarter of a million dollars the government's giving for taking that uh, 1,000 acres off their hands at uh, – a hundred thousand dollars. So uh, then it's got to be thin. Then you get a profit for that. 
and uh, then it's got to be uh, uh, chipping saw has got to be cut out of it. You get a profit for that. You turn around, you'll have made a million dollars free, and you still own the land. And uh, then they came back, and they came back and said, well, we got a creek through it. We've got a new program. Let's go uh, two-and-a-half chains wide, change 66 feet. Let's go two-and-a-half chains wide. And uh, we're going to put a fence. We're going to build you a really good fence uh, for your cattle pasture side. And we're going to – since we're taking up this creek drain bottom and putting this fence here and fencing it off, we're just going to give you a $100 lease on how many acres. So, you know, a, a thousand acres, say it's uh, – section is a mile long so it's a mile across there so you got a mile and then you got it however wide it is so you look up and all of a sudden you got another uh 50 acres at uh a hundred dollars and it's planted with uh pine and the fence you know what fence costs especially today at today's price of uh fence posts treated fence posts so uh you know it's just a it's just a a process that uh, it's all connecting the dots together right now, and something's got to give because you can't pay 36 38 and probably 50% more than an actual home, one single-family home would be worth. And so I think we need to uh, get that under control and not let any more of this stuff happen. And maybe some of our leaders aren't uh, – doing what they should be doing. Maybe they're not keeping an eye on the situation well enough, and maybe they're not following up. And uh, uh, if they want to put me back to work, I could help them locate <laughs> lots of plants. But uh, anyway, that's, uh, that, that's some of my thinking on that, John. And, uh, and uh, it's not just necessary. You know, for a while I thought it was just the landowner that was losing out in this situation. But if you look back, the landowner is – the ones where the planted pine is, where the CRP programs were, he's actually been paid for what he's not getting but $2, a, maybe $2 a ton for, where he was expecting to get uh, uh, maybe eight, $8 a ton or 10 a ton. So because uh, logging costs have gone up, like I said, truck drivers are more, and there's not enough of them out there. And, and if you'll notice uh, – some of these stores, these big stores, these Walmarts, they still got empty shelves. And that's because of lack of trucking and lack of things of that nature. So we're probably going to see, besides just this uh, high uh, 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 cost of building and this inflation rate is out of sight on it right now, I think we're going to see that in a lot of other stuff, kind of like gasoline does occasionally mm-hmm. when it'll go from $2 a gallon to 3 maybe overnight. Right now, I've got one town 30 miles from another, and the price of gas yesterday was uh, $0.19 cents a gallon difference in Jeez. 30 miles. So when you go to looking at stuff like that, it don't sound like a lot, but you pull in there and you get 20 gallons, you know, it's 4 bucks, yeah. And uh, that's and that mounts up on a trailer truck with uh, uh, 70,000 pounds on it. And, uh, We're wrapping up our conversation with the Takapola Storyteller. This is Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. And we encourage you to reach out to the Takapola Storyteller anytime or reach out to us while we're broadcasting here anytime 
803-816-1170 is how you can get in touch with us. Just text us. Call if you'd like, 803-816-1170. And Jerry Libby is in Defuniac Springs, Florida, and she was listening in and heard you talk about a possible paper shortage. And she wants to know, she, her text is, Jerry, really enjoy having you on the Y'all Show each week. You mentioned something about paper products. Please, Jerry, tell me this does not include a shortage of toilet paper in the coming days. How would you answer I'm her question? that is one of the shortages. No yes, way. And, yeah, and the main reason is, uh, you know, they have a paper mill in Grenada, Mississippi, and uh, all they make is newsprint. So, I mean, you know, uh, a lot of these paper mills, uh, they just one item they may make or two or three when they used to really we had 4,000 employees when I first started with this major company in Natchez and they made about seven or eight different products and then they finally got down to only making uh, cigarette tip filters so uh, and they were all going to Russia Uh, so uh, what I think is that uh, we're going to see a shortage of that if uh, people panic like they did before and that's where our government needs to go ahead and open this doggone country up and let things go on their own. And we've never closed the country before in history, and now's not the time to start closing it. So you can tell her, just uh, don't hoard the shelves and get all you can, but make sure you got enough to last a little while of any product like that that you might want. Yeah, because, and, if uh, you, because if it you, could be coming. If you don't have that uh, special toilet paper to help get you through, it might kind of make Jerry feel like he's living back in an army tent. I can handle it. <laughs> can you handle not having toilet paper? Have. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> we'll hold it there. No. <laughs> and I can't say it. I'll bring something in. I'll bring corn cobs are good, but okay. uh, in a taco pole area. Ah, all right. Jerry, always a pleasure to talk to you, and thank you for educating us. I know there's been some stories recently about the cost of building, a shortage of lumber, and Jerry Short's kind of helped here on today's Y'all Show give us the scoop of what it's really all about. Thank you, and we'll be building with you further when we get back together next week, Jerry. All right, sir. Enjoyed it. You have a good day. And we will do that. Jerry Short, our Takapola storyteller right here on the y'all show stay where you are more of the show that covers everything southern is coming back we've got more exciting y'all stuff headed your way you don't want to miss it Southern accent. Here's what's cooking in the South from y'all.com. I'm Kobe Bennett. Springtime equals a chance to go outside and fire up the grill. It also means aggravating creatures that will be awaiting. Y'all.com barbecue barrister Matt Hermans shares his tips on preventing mosquitoes and flies from ruining your backyard queue. The more smoke you can roll out of there, those mosquitoes don't like it. Now, that's that's not the case for flies. Flies love it. Flies love your barbecue cooker. They love the, the smoke. They love the meat. They love all that. Flies love it. So um, the best thing to do for flies is if you have that problem, and sometimes 
you know, Lord knows they just come out of nowhere and they, they're just all over the place. Um, but you need to have a, an, another attractant, right? So you need something that, that they like better than the smoker or the cooker or your food. So there's all kinds of stuff. There's little fly machines that, that have bait for them. There are little fly bags that they, they don't tend to smell great. So hang them up downwind. Recipes, tips, headlines, and more at y'all.com. All right, Kobe, thank you very much. That our Southern Accent Report for today. And it always is fun to have that part of our Y'all show with the Southern Accent Reports. It's also very fun to have Matt Hermans, the barrister of Bodacious Barbecue, drop by. In fact, warning, he'll be on the Tuesday Y'all show talking a little Q, and he'll talk a little college baseball with us as he comes on for that each and every week to give us the latest of that sport as it's in full swing, pardon the pun, right now. Matt Hermans, our barbecue barrister on this, the Y'all Show, and good to have him on our Southern Accent Report. We'll also try to get a little Kobe Bennett back on here as he'll have his Southern Accent Reports throughout each day of the Y'all Show. We had the food report from Kobe today. If you tune in on the Tuesday Y'all Show, you'll get his Southern accent on the arts, the arts and entertainment world. All that will be coming from Kobe on Tuesday's Y'all Show. Now, next hour of the Y'all Show, I'm going to actually walk through each of our remaining days of this week of the Y'all Show to tell you who are some of the exciting guests coming up on the show this week. And I got a big announcement I'm going to go ahead and just tell you right now that's going to be coming on later this week. We're going to have a 60s music I won't say icon, but he was a big part of the 60s with the bands that he was part of. And then he went on to be a country music hit maker of the early, late 80s, early 90s. I'm going to be interviewing Chris Hillman. He was with the Birds and he also with the Flying Burrito Brothers. And then went on to be part of the Desert Rose Band and country music. And I'm going to be interviewing him and he'll be on here on the Y'all Show I think we're going to squeeze him into the Thursday y'all show. So just stay tuned. Again, a 60s hit maker with the birds. And they had the song Turn, Turn, Turn and and more. And so, yeah, that's a pretty big music guest we've got coming on here this week. Chris Hillman, good guy, connected with Emmy Lou Harris and also with Roger McGuinn, Graham Parsons. He and Graham Parsons were were uh, castmates, bandmates with the Flying Burrito Brothers before Graham Parsons, of course, overdosed on drugs. Graham Parsons, by the way, was a Southern boy. I think he was from Georgia, I think. I should remember. But uh, was a, could have been from Texas. One of, the, one of those 16 Southern states was Graham Parsons' home. But he, of course, died way too young, as so many of our great musicians have through the years. But Chris Hillman will be on later this week. If we can get get that interview locked in and and he's scheduled to be on here on the y'all show, so we mix in the music and the fun and the sports and so much more right here on y'all talk with a southern accent, and we couldn't do it without you, so that's why we encourage you, no matter where or when or how you're catching the y'all show, give us a ring eight oh three eight one six eleven seventy We appreciate the lady from Defuniac Springs for checking in with Jerry about toilet paper. If you've got questions, and no question is silly, we welcome all those questions and comments. 803-816-1170. You can text. You can call. 
We welcome it all, y'all, here to the Y'all Show. And, of course, we have the y'all.com website. It is the homepage of the South, and that is how you can go there and get great interviews. In fact, our interview that we just wrapped up with Jerry Short, our Takapola Story interview, you can watch that interview and see it being made right here at y'all, the homepage of the South, y'all.com. So customer service, we try to do our best here. And, of course, if you something you want to tell us about, a festival coming up or something else very southern you need us to know about, text or call 803-816-1170. And you can email us as well. Our email address is mail, M-A-I-L, mail at Y-A-L-L.com, mail at y'all.com. And that will put you in touch with us right here, y'all, the homepage of the South and the radio show of the South with yours truly, General John Rawl, CSA, Certified Southern American. Well, that will put a wrap on hour number two. Stay where you are because coming up in hour number three of today's y'all show, I'm gonna let. I'm just gonna have to lay off, or lay, I'm gonna have to not lay off. I'm gonna lay into preachers and blue jeans. I know you know what I'm talking about. I saw this from Sunday, Mother's Day, a a big church that I was tuned in to the local TV station, and I saw this big church, and they had the preacher there in blue jeans. And I, I just had to think, since it was Mama's Day, what would Mama think of that? Well, my mom's still alive. I probably should have talked to her about it, uh, to be honest with you, but I didn't. But what what would your mother think of your preacher wearing blue jeans up there in front of the congregation? I'm sure a lot of us out there listening and, and hearing me right now would be like, oh, yeah, they wouldn't put up with that. Well, should we put up with it? I'm going to explain, and uh, some of you may be right there with me and say amen to that, or some of you may be like, this guy, John, uh, he needs to catch up to the 21st century. Uh, We'll talk about it. We'll get your input. If you've got anything to say about preachers in blue jeans, 803-816-1170. would love to get your input here on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. Again, hang on. We've got hour three. It's our closing argument. John Solo today. No art. We'll be right back with y'all talk with a Southern accent. This is John, and want to let you know that big names are headlining this weekend's UFC 262 card. Names like Tony Ferguson and Michael Chandler. And there's not going to be any shortage of action. And DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC, has a heavyweight offer for this weekend's fight with 100 to 1 odds. One fighter will be walking away with a belt. Will you be walking away with the cash? Oh, you hope so, right? Just pick up the main event fighter you think will win, and DraftKings Sportsbook will give you 101 odds on that fighter. That's right. I, I said it. I'll say it again. $1 is what you need to bet on any select fighter, and if they win, you win $100. There's no better way to put your MMA knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. Don't worry if MMA is not for you. Hey, DraftKings Sportbook 
has great odds and promotions for NBA basketball, which their season's winding down. Also, Nashville Predators hockey and the rest of the NHL. That's going on, too. So much more that you can bet on if you'd like. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code WTJK when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 when you bet on a main card fighter to win. Place your bet and watch the fist fly this weekend. That's code WTJK to turn $1 into $100 on select main card fighters. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Tennessee only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call or text the Tennessee Red Line, 1-800-989-9789. Back into the closing argument. This is y'all talk with a Southern accent. John Rawl flying solo here for this final hour of this third hour of y'all. Hope y'all are all doing well. You're still getting past Mother's Day 2021 and got a big week perhaps planned at the office or maybe doing some yard work or more. Oh, it's a special time of year. Is the uh, Everything's just so beautiful here in the month of May. You got so much also to look forward to and you don't have the 200 degree temperatures outside like you're going to find pretty soon in the summer months of june and july and august (laughs) oh sweet reminders of living in the south this time of year good to be with you 803-816-1170 is how you can reach us here at y'all talk with a southern accent here in this closing argument hour three we've got a look at some of the sports goings on of the southeast and then i'm going to kind of put on my opinion hat for a few and talk about preachers and blue jeans. Oh, I've been threatening to talk about it, and I'm going to just kind of let it fly. So get ready for a lesson, uh, some indoctrination on should preachers wear blue jeans there in front of everybody in the church. We'll share with you my thoughts, and if you've got similar thoughts, uh, feel free, or or if you want to counter my argument, hey, we welcome whatever you've got to say here at Y'all, the show that really is about the South, a show that they're not going to talk about preachers and blue jeans on just about any other radio program around the country. Also, that later this hour, after we get our our uh, our preaching talk done, we're going to talk about some headlines taking place across the Southeast here on this Monday, Monday, May tenth, twenty twenty one. And before we get out of here today, we'll also tell you a little bit what what's in store at y'all for the rest of the week. It's going to be. A very busy week, and we're glad to have the opportunity here on y'all to tell you all about it. Well, looking at some of the sports news going on here, we will tell you that the biggest news perhaps is coming out of Churchill Downs in Louisville, Kentucky, where the 2021 Kentucky Derby winner, Medina Spirit, is now kind of in the hot water. This horse is causing problems because of failed drug tests, and the Owner of this horse is Bob Baffert, the guy with the pretty hair, and he's out trying to defend his his racehorse. He's the trainer, technically, is Bob Baffert's role there with Madonna Spirit. After a positive drug test revealed over the weekend and on Sunday morning, Baffert held a press conference, and he said the horse tested positive for 21 picograms of beta-methazone, which is a Class C drug. The legal limit for that drug in Kentucky is 10 picograms. 
Baffert added that he does not know why Medina Spirit would have tested positive for this drug. He even said that he got the biggest gut punch in racing for something he didn't do when he found out this on Saturday. He said it's disturbing, it's an injustice for the horse, and he said he will fight tooth and nail and claim there's something wrong in racing that from Bob Baffert, saying, how do I move forward from this knowing that something like this can happen? It's a complete injustice. So he's kind of digging in his hoof, if you will, on this subject of Madonna Spirit, perhaps doping. Churchill Downs responded by suspending Baffert immediately. They released a statement. I'm going to read it here. And a little bit surprising that they would come out immediately and not let the investigation pay or, or play out the way that most would feel like it should. But they did put out a statement in counter to Bob Baffert. And I'm going to read that for uh, that statement for you here on uh, on this show and then tell you what President Trump said calling the racehorse a junkie. <laughs> you knew he would weigh into this, right? Yeah, well, he sure did. Here's what Churchill Downs released after suspending Baffert. They wrote, it is our understanding that Kentucky Derby winner Madonna Spirit's post-race blood sample indicated a violation of the Commonwealth of Kentucky's equine medication protocols. The connections of Madonna Spirit have the right to request a test of a split sample, and we understand they intend to do so. To be clear, if the findings are upheld, Madonna Spirit's results in the Kentucky Derby will be invalidated and Mandelown will be declared the winner. Failure to comply with the rules and medication protocols jeopardizes the safety of the horses and jockeys, the integrity of our sport, and the reputation of the Kentucky Derby and all who participate. Churchill Downs will not tolerate it. Given the seriousness of the alleged offense, Churchill Downs will immediately suspend Bob Baffert, the trainer of Medina Spirit, from entering any races, any horses at Churchill Downs Racetrack. We will await the conclusion of the Kentucky Horse Racing Commission's investigation before taking further steps. So, yes, we could have a reversal of the 2021 winner of the Kentucky Derby, similar to what we had, I think it was just in 2019, with the racehorse there being disqualified after rubbing up against another horse coming down the stretch. Down the stretch they come. That's one thing in broadcasting I've never done It's call a horse race. Maybe, maybe that's in my future one day. Maybe you know what a good horse racing announcer sounds like. President Trump is in the news because he's calling Madonna Spirit a junkie after this horse tested positive for this drug. The president called this horse a junkie after the training, the horse tested positive for this illegal substance. And he said in a statement, (laughs) so now even our Kentucky Derby winner, Madonna Spirit, is a junkie. This is emblematic of what is happening to our country. Posting this on his blog site, the whole world is laughing at us as we go to hell on our borders, our fake presidential election, and everywhere else, President Trump said. Bob Baffert revealed earlier Sunday that this test did that the horse did test positive, and now President Trump weaving a horse into his own claim of of cheating if you will uh, i don't think he's called anybody a junkie like president biden perhaps but president trump weighing in calling madonna spirit a, a junkie <laughs> i'm sorry i think it's funny 
Of, of course, it's funny. Most things he says is either funny or some people would say disturbing. Okay. How about some golf news? Roy McElroy back in the winner's circle as he wins at Quail Hollow outside Charlotte, and he won the Wells Fargo Championship. This was the third time the native of Northern Ireland has won this golf tournament in Charlotte, the Wells Fargo Championship. Three-time winner. First time he's ever won anything three times, and now he's winning this by one stroke. He just got past Abraham Answer, the Texan-slash-Mexican golfer, and Roy McIlroy winning for the first time in about 18 months. And he did just get past answer on that 18th hole. His tee shot went left, and he had to have a penalty stroke, but he ended up just eking out a victory Sunday afternoon after getting the kind of control with back-to-back birdies in the last couple of holes. And then a lovely scene there, McIlroy's wife and eight-month-old daughter there for the thrill of victory as he was able to celebrate with wife Erica and their eight-month-old daughter, lovely daughter Poppy, on Mother's Day. And by the way, maybe one of the reasons McElroy won was because he had on the nice pink hat and pink shirt out there. And it was a very light shade of pink. It was almost white. But Nike suited him up on a really cool, beautiful Sunday there in Mecklenburg County, North Carolina. And he looked just played the part beautifully holding up the trophy of the Wells Fargo Championship in Charlotte. Congratulations to Roy McElroy. And with the win, he now gets ready to go to from cross that state line into South Carolina, where just in about 11 days they'll be teeing off for the PGA Championship from Kiowa Island, South Carolina, 30 minutes south of Charleston. Right there in the South Carolina low country is where the next major for golf takes place next weekend not this weekend but next weekend so Roy goes there with a lot of steam a lot of people thought he would be a contender for the Masters I think he got cut at the Masters he wasn't the only one there were a lot of players who like Dustin Johnson didn't make it to Saturday and Sunday at this year's Masters but uh, yeah a big win for him as he moves along golf now goes on to McKinney Texas this week it's the AT&T Byron Nelson from the TPC at Craig Ranch there in McKinney. Soon Kang is your defending champion of the Byron Nelson. That's golf for this weekend. Then, as I said, May 20th through the 23rd at Kiowa Island at the Kiowa Island Golf Resort's Ocean Course, you got the PGA Championship, which rotates every year. Last year's winner, Colin Morikawa, won that out around San Francisco, I think at the, a public course there in San Francisco. And Morikawa comes East to defend that, of course, Roy McIlroy has won at Kiowa Island before in a major. So golf getting a lot more attention as we work our way through this month of May. A defection from an SEC football team. Henry Tutu or Toto is transferring from the Tennessee Vols to the Alabama Crimson Tide. The native Californian is breaking Vol fans' hearts by making this decision. He announced it on Saturday that he's going to play for the Alabama Crimson Tide. The Tide devastated their linebacker core, devastated after senior Dylan Moses' entry into the NFL. And now this young Californian coming to play for the rival Alabama Crimson Tide. He was an all-SEC selection when he was a freshman. And last year in 2020, Henry was the leading tackler for the Tennessee Vols. But he will not be playing for Coach Heupel 
in the new regime at Rocky Top, he's going to be taking his talents elsewhere. Coming out of high school, he was the number four rated outside linebacker in the class of 2019 and started all 10 games at weak side linebacker last season, leading Tennessee's football defensive unit with 76 tackles, including 10 tackles for loss. And it's the second week that Nick Saban has been able to do a good job in the transfer portal. The week before, former Ohio State wide receiver Jamison Williams said he's going to be leaving that Big Ten school to go to Tuscaloosa and play for Nick Saban. So it's the era of college football that we live in. These players are one and done. I guess John Calipari would be very proud of what's happening now with the new rules changes in in the NFL, or rather for college football, where before for U.K. basketball, of course, these guys were one and done because they went immediately to the NBA. Now, because of the transfer rule changes, you don't have to sit out. So some of these players are one and done taking advantage of the rule change, and they're going to be playing for one team one year, and then they're playing for their arch-rival team, sometimes in the same conference, sometimes in the same division, the very next season. Yes, that's uh, that's where we are, thanks to the NCAA and Alabama benefiting from that. Although, if you heard me last week on the show, I was telling you about several players transferring to Tennessee from pretty good football programs around the country. But in this case, a defensive stud for the Tennessee Vols now going to be making a presence be known in Tuscaloosa, in T-Town, when he's not dining on that Taco Casa and going over to dreamland ribs he's going to be feasting on opposing teams here in the 2021 football season speaking of football we got a football championship game a national championship game set for sunday as the south dakota state jackrabbits entered the fcs playoffs as the number one seed and they've made their way to frisco texas as they've been able to hold on this past weekend they they just kind of dominated the delaware blue hens 33 to 3 and now the Jackrabbits move on to the championship game where they'll be playing a team from the South. Huntsville, Texas's Sam Houston State Bearcats will be the opponent. Sam Houston State lost this championship game about five years ago just up the road in Frisco from their Huntsville campus. Now they've got a chance at redemption as it's the Jacks and the Bearcats and the Bearcats out of the Southland Conference going for their national championship. I don't think Sam Houston State has won a FCS championship before, but college football in the month of May, and then this will be a championship game played on the 18th of May, and just three months later, at least no more than three months later, these teams will all be practicing in the summer getting ready for fall football. So a quick turnaround, if you will, for college football. To college baseball, and I've got the latest top 25 of college baseball after some good baseball action. Arkansas did lose a game to Georgia this past weekend, but the Hogs still sit number one on the D1Baseball.com poll. Vanderbilt climbs in at number two. That's where they've been hovering for a while, but Mississippi State did move up a spot after they won their series against the South Carolina Gamecocks this weekend. Tennessee, a very impressive job there on Rocky Top. Tennessee swept the Missouri Tigers over the weekend, and UT is number four. So you got four SEC teams going one, two, three, four Arkansas, Vanderbilt, Mississippi State, and Tennessee. Then you got the Texas Longhorns. They move up after winning the series against TCU this past weekend. TCU drops down to six in the latest top 25 of D1Baseball.com. Then Texas Tech, which had their games kind of shortened this weekend because of the coronavirus, 
The Red Raiders check in at number seven. The ACC's Notre Dame is number eight. Florida, which got a series win over Kentucky this past weekend. The Gators check in this week at number nine in D1Baseball.com. Oregon, out of the Pac-12, they are at number 10 right now. Congratulations to East Carolina. Their season continues to look really good there in Greenville. The Pirates and the American Conference that they represent are at number 11 in the latest poll. The Stanford Cardinal are at 12, also out of the Pac-12. Arizona is the number 13 team in the country right now in D1Baseball.com's poll. The Bulldogs of Louisiana Tech. Where's LSU? I don't know, but Louisiana Tech's in the top 25. Bulldogs ranked number 14 out of Conference USA. The Louisville Cardinals are sitting at 15 in the latest poll. Pitt out of the ACC is 16. FSU and Coach Martin are number 17 in the latest poll. Mississippi, which lost their series at College Station against the Aggies this past weekend, they slipped to number 18 in the latest poll. Southern Miss is at 19, so you got two Magnolia State schools back-to-back there at 18 and 19, and three Magnolia State schools in the top 20 of college baseball. Pretty impressive. Number 20 is the Charlotte 49ers out of Conference USA. Number 21 is Indiana. Gonzaga is 22. Way to go, Gonzaga. You know We know about their basketball team. Did you know their college baseball team is pretty good? They are. They're 22. The Bruins of UCLA are at 23. UC Irvine, the Anteaters, check in at 24. And rounding out the top 25 of D1Baseball.com's college baseball poll after losing the series at home to the Mississippi State Bulldogs after losing the weekend before being swept away at Swayze Field to Mississippi, the South Carolina Gamecocks are just barely hanging on to their chicken claw. They are at number 25 in the latest D1Baseball.com poll. Now to Major League Baseball, recapping what happened on Sunday. The Red Sox defeated the O's 4-3. to The Yanks able to get their uh, interleague win against the Washington Nationals on Sunday, winning 3-2. to Mets over the Diamondbacks 4-2. to Cincinnati Cleveland was postponed as well as Minnesota and Detroit. Some nasty weather along Lake Erie. You had in 10 innings the Milwaukee Brewers outlasting the Miami Marlins. White Sox over Kansas City 9-3. to Astros defeated Toronto 7-4. The Cardinals over the Rockies 7, or rather 2-0 on Sunday. Pittsburgh over the Cubs 6-5. The Rangers over Seattle 10-2. San Diego with a big win over the Giants 11-1 on Sunday. Angels in the freeway series topped the Dodgers 2-1. The Tampa Bay Rays defeated the Oakland Athletics 4-3. And the Atlanta Braves over the Philadelphia Phillies 6-1 in Sunday's action. Coming up here on this 10th day of May, the Monday action includes the Cincinnati Reds at Pittsburgh. That's a 6.35 Pittsburgh time start. Boston is at Baltimore. The ESPN game being televised today includes Houston and Los Angeles getting together in Houston, Texas. The Padres will be at Colorado. The Miami Marlins are all the way in the desert taking on the Devil, uh, the Devil Rays. Rather, the uh, Miami Marlins are taking on the Diamondbacks. Sorry, I don't know why. I had expansion of 1998 on my mind. Then the last game of baseball, the Rangers and the San Francisco Giants get together on the left coast here on this 10th of May. And that is a look at Major League Baseball wrapping up our look at sports here on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. Hang on, when we come back, it's John the Opinionator coming on to share my thoughts on preachers wearing blue jeans. Oh, goodness. 
Oh, goodness. Pray for me, y'all. It's y'all talk with a Southern accent. We'll be right back. Dusty Springfield, son of a preacher man here on Y'all Talk with a Southern accent. And don't judge. Yeah, we're all Southern all the time here on Y'all. Y'all.com is the homepage of the South. John Rawl in with you here on this Monday uh, edition. But speaking of being judgmental, if you don't mind, I'm going to be a little judgmental. Dusty Springfield, hopefully you won't mind here. I'm going to pick on preachers here for a second. So it's Mother's Day Sunday on Sunday, and I'm happen to be flipping the TV, and I caught coverage of a local newscast, and they were at the largest, I think I'm right on this, and I don't want to call this church out because I don't want to be sent to, off to the wrong direction one day. <laughs> they had, I think, the largest Baptist church in that town being covered on the local news for something that was going on there. And this was not some fourth Baptist church or second Baptist church, and this wasn't some country church. This was a pretty decent-sized town that I was watching the local coverage in. And the preacher or whoever was being interviewed there, one of the new ministers, I think, there, was wearing blue jeans on Mother's Day at a big church. I'm talking... Probably thousands of members go to this church. It's it's and it's not a non-denominational church either. It's it's a I think a Southern Baptist church that I happen to be watching again this coverage of I think a new minister being installed or something like that. Uh, it caught my eye and I had to sit there and think: Am, am I getting old or, or or am I old if I'm sitting here thinking about this kind of stuff? But is it is it a good thing that? Preachers wear blue jeans in church. I know some of the congregants wear blue jeans, even at more formal churches. Maybe they slip in there and wear blue jeans. But but should a preacher, the preacher, or one of the leaders of a church be up there wearing blue jeans? Am I being judgmental? Am I being anti-Christian and not forgiving by even bringing this up and embarrassing this? I, I'm not calling names here today. I'm not even calling where this happened. But I've seen it become more and more fashionable, if you will, for preachers to look like they're rock stars up there in the pulpit. And and maybe it's just me tuning in through the years and reading about televangelists in the pulpit, people like Ernest Angley, who died, died over the weekend, by the way, a televangelist dying at the age of 99, in their Sunday best, if you will, all decked out like they're uh, about to 
go to Wall Street and put on a presentation. And now we're seeing kind of the opposite of that in even more recognized formal church situations. Now, I don't think the Catholic priests are out wearing blue jeans when they have mass. And I don't think too many of the Presbyterians or Methodists or Lutherans or any of those other, I guess, more formal Protestant denominations are guilty of wearing blue jeans in church. But I'm telling you, this was a Baptist church. This was, I think, a Southern Baptist church or whatever they're called these days because a Southern Baptist church is also, just like a lot of things, reevaluating itself in today's world. Some of the Baptist churches, Southern Baptist churches, aren't even called Baptist churches anymore. I think they're called Great Communion denominations. But So I saw this on TV, preacher up there, being recognized wearing blue jeans. And, of course, if you're wearing blue jeans, you're not going to be wearing a shirt and a tie. He had some kind of short sleeve shirt on, I think. I was too caught up looking at his pants, his his britches, if you will, than I was looking at the, the actual preacher. But uh, am I being a little bit harsh? Am I being judgmental on a, a person that is devoting their lives to the Lord? Maybe so, but maybe I'm not. In fact, there's a website called chucklawless.com. And they talk about here on this website, church health and leadership and more. And they've got an article from a few years up ago titled, Four Reasons Why What You Wear When You Preach Does Matter. Again, not my thoughts here. This is coming from chucklawless.com. And here are their four reasons why it matters what a preacher wears on Sunday. One reason, it's an issue of contextualization. What works in one church may not work in another. The first church that Chuck Lawless says he pastored would not have minded if I wore pants and a polo shirt. My second church expected their pastor to wear a suit and tie. So contextualization. You know, when you go to church, you're partly dressing up because you're wanting to represent your best to the Lord. If you can't take five extra seconds to look a little bit nicer than you would going down to the golf course on a Sunday, then perhaps you might not need to go. I'm I'm being judgmental. Shame on me. May lightning strike. Yes. But contextualization, according to ChuckLawless.com, is one of the reasons your preacher needs to look a little nicer up there in front of the congregation. Second reason, according to this website, clothing does send signals. Sometimes, according to this website, it says, I'm still living in the 70s or I'm messy In other cases, it says, I like to rebel against tradition or I'm too lazy to iron my shirt. In a more positive bent, it sometimes says, I want to become all things to all men so some might be saved. These perceptions may just be that, only perceptions, but we still need to recognize them when we preach. This is a website by a preacher really targeting preachers, not necessarily the the commoner of which I definitely am not a preacher. But I did see this on TV, like I said, on Sunday, and it just kind of – it chapped my Ralph uh, Lauren jeans or or whoever makes jeans. See, I don't even know. Uh, polo jeans. No, Ralph Lauren is polo. See, uh, Calvin Klein. Does Calvin Klein make jeans? Uh, I know a guy named Levi's makes jeans, so I better just stick, it with, stick with that. The other reason, according to ChuckLawless.com, of why preachers – need to be concerned about what they wear when they're in front of the congregation is that clothing 
can be part of an intentional outreach strategy. Perhaps the best illustration is the pastor who wears a coat and tie in a traditional service, but who wears jeans with an untucked shirt for the contemporary service. He's doing that intentionally because of the church's desire to reach multiple generations through different services. Yes, a lot of churches, even I think in the Southern Baptist Church, they do have two different types of worship, traditional and contemporary. And maybe I just happen to tune in and see the contemporary service. But I still don't think you should be wearing jeans because jeans, I'm going to be a snob here. I'm, I've, I literally, I kid you not, I don't wear jeans regularly. I, it's maybe a once a week, if not once every two week type deal for me. But I'm wearing jeans today, I guess, to be the hypocrite that I am and sitting here talking about preachers wearing blue jeans. But I think a, a preacher still should be wearing khakis. I mean, you don't have to wear a suit, but you at least need to be wearing khakis and a sh- some type of tie. I really think a preacher probably should always have a tie on up there. Frankly, I'm a real traditionalist. I have grown up in a church and primarily as an adult have gone to churches where the preacher – well, frankly, if they're wearing blue jeans or not, I would not know because they're wearing a robe. And I don't know what they got on underneath there, which brings a story to me of mine from 25 years ago. I was, I think, in Fayetteville, Tennessee at a, a church there on a Sunday morning. And the preacher had was up there talking for 45 minutes. Great preacher. Did a great job. Enjoyed it. But the whole time that he's up there doing his thing, I just kind of accepted the fact that this preacher had one arm because that's all I saw. The guy had one arm coming out of his robe. <laughs> and about about three-fourths of the way through the service, out comes the second arm. He had just had his arm tucked in his pants, I guess, the whole time, and I had no idea that he had a second arm. That was a, a revelation, if you will, there in church for me on that Sunday. See, I was paying attention to my credit. And then the last thing brought up here at ChuckLawless.com, again, as we're talking about preachers and blue jeans, is it right, or should I say, is it right that preachers wear blue jeans? I'm not talking about the congregation. I'm not picking on members of congregations who might wear jeans. And I've been to even Baptist churches out in the country. I'm talking about K-O-U-N-T-R, country. And I've seen some small churches there where the preachers have come up wearing blue jeans and I'm not picking on them. This was a slick city church, if you will, a church with thousands of members, and the, and the preacher was wearing blue jeans. And, and it just it just brought to mind that maybe this is something that if I'm noticing it, I bet you I'm not the only one to have noticed this throughout the years. And so are we – is this maybe the reason why our country is going to heck? It's not because of presidents, and it's not because of morals of society. It's because our preachers aren't wearing their Sunday best on Sundays. Is that what it's all about? Let me go back to ChuckLawless.com again as he's recognized four different reasons why what you wear when you're a preacher does matter. This is ChuckLawless.com, a preacher speaking to, or I should say, should say laying the book on his fellow preachers. The last thing that ChuckLawless.com says as a reason why what you wear matters is clothing can distract from the message. When your clothing looks strange or even just decidedly different, it's not always easy to hear your message because of the visual distraction, kind of like me thinking that preacher only had one arm. I was sitting there thinking about that instead of listening to his message. I suppose we can, this is Chuck Lawless.com's thoughts, I suppose we can blame that issue on the hearers 
But it's our responsibility as preachers, as the communicator, to figure out how to communicate most effectively. That responsibility includes not allowing our clothing choices to hinder someone hearing the message. Again, four reasons why, according to this website, preachers wearing something does matter. Those four reasons. An issue of contextualization. Number two reason, clothing does send signals. Number three, clothing can be part of an intentional outreach strategy by the preacher or church. And then the fourth reason, clothing can distract from the message. Again, maybe I'm being a little too harsh. Maybe I just, I don't know what I'm talking about. If you're a preacher, if you're a devout member of your congregation, if you've got a thought on this, we welcome it here, y'all, because we're just throwing it out there. 803-816-1170 is how you can weigh in on fashion and going to church and hearing the person of the cloth kind of isn't that funny? The person talking about what to wear for them, not for us. And I've never, I don't think I've ever worn blue jeans to a church. I don't even think I've ever worn shorts to a church, at least a church not at like a summer camp. And uh, But I'm not judging. Hey, if we all can get to heaven one day, no matter if you're wearing jeans or shorts or, or nothing, that's fine. What do y'all think of these cowboy churches? I saw I actually passed by one of those Sunday traveling and that is a whole denomination, I think, based on the Western look. I think I haven't been there to one of those churches, but uh, maybe, maybe, maybe that's worth a spin here to find out more about Cowboy Church. If y'all have one of those in your community, hey, we're all trying to get to the same place. So, uh, forgive me, Lord. I should say a prayer right here. We had National Prayer Day, Prayer Day last Thursday. Lord, please forgive me for talking about what preachers wear on today's y'all show. But you know what? If they just wore, if they wore a robe, it, it wouldn't matter, would it? Or, or, or maybe, maybe I'm. Uh, I'll just shut up. This is my key to shut up. Hey, John, shut up. All right, okay, I will. All right, I said it. If you've got something to say about it, let us know here at the Y'all Show. We're gonna take a break. Come right back on y'all and give you a quick update on what's going on across the Southland here on this Monday. I got my blue jeans on and I'm ready to talk, not preach to you. This is y'all. Mama, can you die from a broken heart? 
That's what happens when Oklahoma and Texas get together. Sounds pretty good. Maddie and Tay. And a big song from them from 2020, Die From a Broken Heart. Going to have a lot of country music coming your way on Thursday's Y'all Show, but you'll just have to wait for that. In fact, in the next segment as we wrap up this third hour of Monday's Y'all, we're going to give you a preview of what's in store for the rest of this show that's all about the South with your host, John Rawl. Good to have y'all back with me. And let's take a quick look at headlines before we say adieu for this Monday. How about Anthony Fauci? Back in the news as he's suggesting that it might be time to rethink indoor mask mandates. Here's Mr. Mask, as I call him. He's the guy that first pushed for masks and then decided, I mean, it's just been so like a ping pong ball with mask and Fauci since all this stuff started in 2020. Does anybody really know? I mean, I know that masks have to help to some degree, but if they help, 100% then then we would never have had a lifting of masks. I don't know. It's very frustrating. Who all is tired of this stuff? And now that a lot of our southern states have pretty much opened the floodgates to not wearing masks, then you go in a restaurant, you're not sure if you're supposed to wear a mask. I see places where there's signs up that say wear a mask, but you can tell nobody's in there wearing it. Even the staff members aren't wearing masks. It's just one big cluster puck, P-U-C-K, here. And uh, I don't know what uh, what to make of it. Nobody does. But we're ready for this thing to be behind us. And a sign that things are changing and getting better. We, we've seen where a lot of things are now back to 100% capacity, sporting events and more concerts. You're seeing more and more of those. So we're, we're on the backside, it looks like, of this thing. But still confusion uh, that's the one thing about fauci and dr burks and others when they were there in washington dc it's just been confusing and i'll be honest with you i don't think it's gotten any better with biden i know that a lot of people think that that's the only reason he got elected and i would say there's that's probably a major reason biden won because he thought everybody thought that he would at least be more clearer and have a better covid19 plan but we still have had hundreds of thousands of people die under the Biden administration since they took over in January. And and we still see numbers going up. I mean, it, we saw Michigan here recently with really alarming numbers. Now, thankfully, here in this country, we're not like India, which is really getting sucker punched right now. It's it's just uh, something we've never had to live through as as us here alive today i think back in the spanish influenza of the late teens it could have definitely been worse than what we have now but confusing i don't know how confusing it was back in the woodrow wilson era but it's been darn confusing here in this time period especially with the reversals of mask and and the rules going on with mask wearing just makes for a very tough time all right to georgia and that state is the home of colonial pipeline and over the weekend that company shut down its entire pipeline which stretches from texas to around new york state because of an attack there a ransomware a cyber attack on colonial pipeline and now this company colonial is looking into what happened as a result experts said that gasoline prices are unlikely to be affected if the pipeline is back to normal in the next few days, but that this incident, the worst cyber attack to date on critical U.S. infrastructure, 
should serve as a wake-up call to companies about the vulnerabilities they face as this company, Colonial, delivers gas to most of the eastern seaboard states. And having this go off here those last few weeks or for the last few days with this ransomware attack has not been a good thing. And the after effects being seen throughout the southeast and really throughout the entire eastern portion of the country. This past weekend, a lot of students around the, the country, around the south in particular, celebrated graduation. And for some, it was a much-awaited graduation as 2020's formal graduation did not happen for most around the country because of the coronavirus. So you saw this past weekend a combination of 2020 college graduates and 2021 college graduates finally getting their sheepskins. So congratulations to all of these people entering the workforce. Now get to work. (laughs) Now, a lot of colleges have had to split up graduation over several days, if not several weekends, because of the great amount of people wanting that formal commencement ceremony. And they deserve it. If you were supposed to graduate in 2020 and it all had to get scratched to being a virtual graduation, that's just not the same. You want to hear your name called out. Congratulations, John Doe. Congratulations, Jane Doe, for getting your degree. And you don't get that kind of effect when it's a virtual graduation. So a lot of college towns around the southeast now having multiple weekends of graduation. Filling up hotel rooms, by the way. I tried to go to a college town the weekend before, and the chance of getting a hotel was slim to none. I had to go 45 minutes away and have an outing in a non-college town. But I had a good time, so I'm not complaining. I probably saved a couple hundred dollars as a result of making that choice. Longtime televangelist Ernest Angley has died. He was a native North Carolinian. He died at the age of 99 on Friday. A televangelist whose ministry was seen all over the nation. A statement from Ernest Angley Ministries put out saying, Pastor, evangelist, and author Reverend Ernest Angley has gone to heaven to be with his Lord and Master at 99. He touched multitudes of souls worldwide with the pure word of God. He truly pleased God in all things. Check Ernest Angley, A-N-G-L-E-Y, ErnestAngley.org for updates. Again, the native of North Carolina had been at Grace Cathedral Church outside of Cleveland for many decades, but was still a Southerner and has now died at the age of 99 years old. Some some not-so-positive things in his professional career. He was arrested in Germany back in 1984, charged with fraud and practicing medicine without a license. I don't know how that could, uh, how going to be a preacher means you could try to practice medicine, but that's what Germany accused him of. And then in Guyana in 2006, he was denounced by officials there for allegedly claiming he could cure AIDS. And maybe he could. I don't know. Uh, late comedian Robin Williams routinely spoofed Ernest Angley and his Southern drawl, speaking style as the character, the Reverend Ernest Angry, A N G R Y. I never saw. Robin Williams do that, but uh, yes, Ernest Angley dead at the age of 99. The state of Louisiana might be having a new motto and a new song as they're looking to maybe give that state another song in addition to the, I think, four other ones they currently have, including You Are My Sunshine, 
written by the great Louisiana governor, Jimmy Davis, but new proposals in front of the legislature in Baton Rouge could change the history of the state. The House Judiciary Committee passing bills Thursday of last week to establish this new state song and new motto. The new state song would be called Southern Nights. It's a song written by late New Orleans music legend Alan Toussaint, and it would be the fifth state song for Louisiana. The current state song is Davis's You Are My Sunshine. The new motto for Louisiana would change from union, justice, confidence to something called we live and die for those we love. I don't know why they're looking to change. I like that motto of union, justice, and confidence because it's pretty easy. And it's not in Latin because a lot of these states have Latin mottos that I don't know what the heck they're talking about. So, yeah, that the latest out of out of Baton Rouge. Now to Cookville, Tennessee. Did you hear about the zebra running around the other day? Yeah, the zebra caught on camera as it escaped, but luckily early, not too far from where it got out, near Prescott South Elementary School in Cookville. Zebra has been captured. All is back to normal in Putnam County, Tennessee. Now to the Gulf Coast of Mississippi, and Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College has cooked up what they're calling the largest collection of jambalaya. It's the Guinness World Record for jambalaya, and they did this over the weekend. How about this? Jambalaya with a record of 3,700 pounds, and that was enough to beat the previous record set in Gonzales, Louisiana, of 3,300 pounds. And what all went into this thing? It was it was a lot of stuff, to be honest with you. Get your calculator out because they had rice, they had beans, they had ham. 900 pounds of sausage went into this, 900 pounds of ham, and more than 620 pounds of rice, all to make the world's largest jambalaya at Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College Ocean Springs campus on Mississippi's wonderful Gulf Coast. How about this? If you want to get to the Florida Keys, the Ernest Hemingway Lookalike Contest is returning after a year break. Yes, you can go there and celebrate for the 40th Ernest Hemingway Lookalike Contest July 22nd through 24th with a reduced entry field. This is hosted at Sloppy Joe's Bar. And go on now and get ready for what the bar plans to have. It's Running of the Bulls, a spoof event featuring a parade of Ernest Hemingway lookalikes all riding fake bulls on wheels. Sounds like a fun time there in July at Key West at Sloppy Joe's Bar. It's the Ernest Hemingway lookalike contest returning here this year. Thank goodness I don't know how we've made it the last couple of months without Ernest Hemingway's lookalike contest. We will wrap up the Y'all Show after this break. A look at what is ahead for the show that's all about the South. Stay tuned. we got big news. A member of the Birds and the Flying Burrito Brothers is scheduled to be on with us. We'll tell you about that when the Y'all Show wraps up here after this. i 
We're back here, final segment of the Y'all Show, and that was the Birds from the 1960s. Now, that's not a Southern group, but one of the members of that, Chris Hillman, is going to be on the Y'all Show here this week as he moved on from the Birds to the Flying Burrito Brothers and then ended up being a member of country music's The Desert Rose Band with a couple of big hits in the late 80s and 90s. And Chris Hillman, a special guest of the Y'all Show here this week as we mix in Music and sports and food and fun and so much more. On Tuesday's Y'all Show, we're going to mix in a little barbecue talk with Matt Hermans, the bodacious barbecue barrister. He'll be on as a special guest on the Tuesday Y'all Show. We have our ACC Spotlight coming to you on Wednesday. Plus, we'll also have on Wednesday a look at what's going on in the world of books if you're looking for a good read. Thursday, that's when we hope to mix in Chris Hillman of the Birds fame on our Thursday show, as well as a date on all things Southeastern Conference. And Friday, of course, our fishing forecast from Craig Faulkner will be a installment of that here on the Y'all Show and getting you ready for the weekend. All right here on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. Our website is y'all.com. John Rawl signing off. Thank you for listening and being part of the show that truly is all about the Southeast. We'll see you on Tuesday.